Welcome back to Biased Opinion Sports Podcast. I'm here with PJ. We got a special World Cup episode on the slate today. Uh, a lot of special guests came on, a lot of different uh, opinions and perspectives and thoughts on this year's World Cup. Uh, it starts in a couple of weeks here, so we're uh, pretty fired up and ready to go. So we're going to run through our predictions and our brackets first, and then we'll get to our uh, guest interviews. But yeah, PJ, kick us off. Uh, yeah, so before we get into the uh, the groups, I think a few things should be mentioned about this World Cup. It's a little bit a little bit different than we're used to. First is the time of the year. It's in the it's the first ever World Cup in the winter, which is kind of interesting. And it's in the winter because of the location. This World Cup will be taking place in Qatar. Qatar is a small country in the Middle East, and I've heard I can't confirm that it's like the size of Connecticut. So just imagine the World Cup being played in the size of Connecticut. So it was a lot of controversy when it was first uh, handed out to Qatar. I think it was probably given to them like 10 or 12 years ago or something, a long time ago. And it was definitely rigged by FIFA. I think, uh, so yeah, there's definitely a lot of controversy and that can just, that's a whole nother episode in itself talking about Qatar hosting this World Cup, which we're not really, don't have the time to get into. And it's a lot, I think World Cups are a lot better when they're in true footballing nations. Like 2014 Brazil was pretty, it was pretty epic. Um, and then also with this World Cup being played in the winter, a lot of people are complaining about injuries because uh, these club teams have been playing. This is it's halting the club season. The club season starts, you know, end of the summer and now it usually goes through the winter. But now the club season is being stopped and these teams have been playing basically every three days in the uh, in October and into early November. So some players that we're not going to see at this World Cup are uh, Paul Pogba, Angolo Conte, Diego Jota. Timo Werner, Reese James, Marco Royce. But I, I don't really want to hear about these injuries because every single World Cup, you're going to have people injured even if it's in the summer. People are going to tear their ACLs in January and not be able to make it. So I think I think a lot of people are making a big deal about the injuries than they currently need to be. But yeah, it is. If I was a player, I would. I mean, there's Premier League games this weekend. Like, I'd be saying, I am not playing. I'm just going to wait for the World Cup. But people are playing. So I guess credit to them. And then lastly, it's the last World Cup with 32 teams before we expand to 48 when America, Canada, and uh, Mexico host in 2026. And I'm, I'm definitely going to miss the 32-team World Cup. I think less teams, the better. I don't need to see Mozambique play in a World Cup. And I think it's just way more competitive with the less teams. And I think the 48-team format, again, that could be a whole other episode, but I'm not a massive fan of that. And it's not like the World Cups can get any smaller as the years go on. So this will be the last 32-team World Cup, which I think has provided a lot of drama. So those are my uh, first thoughts. Seamus, do you have anything to add before we uh, get into the groups? Not much. I just wanted to agree with your last point there. I mean, when I was going to fill out my bracket, I felt like there was already a lot of filler teams, I would call them. And, I mean, maybe they prove me wrong and they pull off an upset draw or something in the group stage. But, I mean, there does already seem to be a good handful of teams that most likely are just going to go 0-3 or 0-2-1 or something and uh, bow out early and just get killed by all the top teams. So I don't, yeah, I just don't really see a reason or a point to expand it uh, much more other than money, but I guess that's money talks. So yeah, that's all I had to add there. Yeah. And also like world cup qualifying is going to get uh, diminished as the years go. I mean, it's going to be a lot easier to qualify. So like Italy didn't make it into this world cup because they couldn't qualify. And like the South American world cup qualifying is like, that's an absolute battle. There's only 10 teams in that. And only the top four make it and the fifth get to play in the playoffs. So now you're going to expand that. So those games are messily, um, less meaningful. So, yeah, it's it's a whole knock-on effect. So starting off with Group A, we have the host, Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal, and the Netherlands. 
Uh, I'm going to go with the Netherlands to just to win this group. I think they have a pretty pretty good team. Uh, Louis van Gaal is back as their manager. They were semifinalists in 2014 when he was managing them. They were knocked out in the round of 16 at the 2021 Euros, but that they were a little naive then. Uh, the manager, Louis van Gaal, said, we stand a big chance to win the World Cup. There are not a lot of managers who dare to say this, but I'm here to tell you this. So they have a lot of confidence. They have a lot of good defenders. Goalkeepers that are on the roster are all playing the Dutch leagues. I don't really know anything about them, so that could be a little bit of a, a little bit of a question mark as the tournament goes along. They have some good young talent in the midfield. I do wonder who's going to be uh, scoring the goals up top. Memphis Depay, Memphis Depay is still coming back from injury, so I think they're the best team in this group. And as for the rest, Senegal, they're like a dark horse to go deep, but Sadio Mane just got hurt, and I like to stay away from teams who their star players are like racing against time to stay fit. So I think I think this adds a different uh, a distraction to the team right before their most important games. And they were eliminated in the group stage in 2018. And their group wasn't all that great. It was like Colombia, Japan, and Poland. And they were also like dark horses in that one too because they, they were the African Cup of Nations champions in, in February of 2022. So they're a good team, but I don't know. And African teams just haven't fared well at the World Cup over the years. So I'm going to say because their star player, Sadio Mane, is injured, I don't think they're going to make it through to the uh, to the next round. I'm going to go with Ecuador to make it through to the next round. i got to be honest. I don't know anyone in Ecuador. I don't know their team. All I can tell you is that they made it out of South America qualifying, and that's very, very difficult to do. They finished fourth. Uh, they you know finished ahead of the likes of Chile, Colombia, Peru. They only finished behind Uruguay, Argentina, and Brazil. So I think just the level of play that they face over the last two years to qualify for this World Cup. They've played Brazil twice. They've played Argentina twice. They're in absolute battles. And there's no really easy games in that qualifying. So I think they'll be prepared and ready. The host, the host cut are their odds to make it through are not very great. So I don't think, and again, they're not really a footballing nation. I don't think that the crowd or the home field advantage is really going to get behind them like other uh, home crowds can. So I'm going to go with the Netherlands finish first. I think they can go uh, pretty far into the tournament. And I don't think, they're not going to be an easy out. I don't think they're one of the favorites to win, but if you're going to beat the Netherlands in the knockout stages, you're going to have to play a good game. And I'm going to go with Ecuador to finish second, just edging out Senegal because I think there's too many question marks over Senegal. And they don't really have the past experience and history of doing well in the World Cup. Yeah, I have uh, Netherlands won just like you, um, kind of for the same reasons. I just felt, honestly, when I was going through the groups, I felt this was kind of definitely one of the weaker groups for me. I wasn't particularly attached to any of these teams. It didn't really have a ton of confidence in any of them, but Netherlands, um, I guess most established team and country uh, in this group uh, on the world stage. So I have them won uh, pretty comfortably. And then I had Senegal too. Um, I mean, like, like I don't really have a ton of counter arguments to you to say that why they will make it um, other than uh, I, I'm a big fan of Mane. I hope that he gets back healthy. I, he's one of my favorite players. So uh, I don't know if he's healthy. I think they, go through like you said i mean that's a question mark who knows so um i don't know i just have them too uh solely because i like mane but with him being hurt obviously i'm a lot less confident in that pick uh but ecuador and qatar don't exactly inspire confidence yet either so yeah i don't have a ton to add to add to this group other than my two picks are netherlands and senegal one and two yeah it's just hard to get senegal beat reporters to get injury updates on Saudi Mane, but you can see uh, Liverpool has definitely struggled this year without him, and he definitely is. I think he finished top five in Ballon d'Or voting recently, the last one of the last two Ballon d'Ors. So they definitely have more talent than Ecuador, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna fade them because I'm not a fan of star players 
Uh, I just think it's a distraction. It's hard to implement them back into the team when they when they rush back to full fitness. On to Group B, that's uh, USA, Wales, Iran, and England. I'm going to start with the USA. They're not exactly in great form. They lost 2-0 to Japan, and they tied the Saudi beat team 0-0 in September. So it's been a while since they scored a goal. They finished third in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying, which is okay. Two big question marks for the USA is two big uh, in the starting lineup is who starts at center back alongside Walker Zimmerman and who starts at striker. That's exactly not the best place to be when you don't know who your starting center back is and who your starting striker is. I guess in terms of expectations for this team, I think it's all about 2026. This team needs to build a good foundation now in 2022 to progress into 2026. And they need to do that by getting out of the group. If they don't get out of the group, I think it's, it's a complete failure and it just adds way more pressure for 2026. I mean, right now, there's a lot of talent on this roster. It's probably the most talented roster that the USA has ever had. You have players playing in established European clubs overseas, week in, week out. I mean, Brendan Aronson at Leeds, uh, Tyler Adams also at Leeds. They're playing every day in the Premier League. Weston McKinney at Juventus, one of the biggest clubs in Italy. Jonas Musa, a young player in the midfield, playing for Valencia every day in the Spanish League. Uh, Gio Reyna is playing every once in a while. Borussia Dortmund, Christian Pulisic playing every once in a while at Chelsea. Like these are the USA has never had this amount of talent overseas playing in the top competitions in Europe. So that's promising. And all these players are young and they're all going to hit their prime around 2026. So what they need right now is good experience. What I don't want to see is let's say the USA doesn't get out of the group and let's say they play terrible football. And now you have questions over the manager. What I want to see is the manager build something now, implement something now so that you can build upon it in the, uh, in the matches leading up to 2026, because if they have a bad tournament now in 2020, in 2022, then it's going to be questions over the manager. Let's say you keep the manager, and let's say 2023 starts off poorly in these friendlies, whatever they're going to be playing in. Well, then you sack the manager. Now you have to bring in a new manager to implement his ideas into 2026, and then it just becomes a mess. So what I want to see, and I'm not exactly confident that Greg Berhalter is the right manager to lead this group of young players into the 2026 World Cup. And it's so the 2026 World Cup, we already touched upon, it's going to be in the United States. That's why it's so important. So these young players, they need experience now. And there's there's a lot of talent on this roster. And I think I think if you – the first game against Wales is basically the whole tournament because they play England on Black Friday, which would be very important. But if you lose to Wales, well then you can't really go out and park the bus against England. If you play toe-to-toe against England, you might lose that one. So you ideally have to beat Wales. But if you draw them, I guess it's not the end of the world, but a loss would be the end of the world. And then if you're moving on to the Wales point of view, I mean, if you're Wales, you shouldn't really be afraid of the United States. Like, they're probably saying the exact same thing. You can't lose this first game against the United States. Obviously, the headliner for Wales is Gareth Bale. And if you look at Wales, they've really gotten the most out of their talent, out of this generation of players. I mean, they were Euro semifinalists in 2016 when they went on a great run behind Gareth Bale. They made it to the knockout stages of the competition of the Euros in 2021, and now they've qualified for a World Cup. For a country that small, it uh, doesn't really – That's it's been their first World Cup in probably forever, and maybe their first World Cup ever, at least their first World Cup in the last 50 years. So that's impressive. As for Iran, I mean, I don't know why Iran should be scared. I mean, you're looking at USA, Wales. They're okay teams. I mean, they're middle of the pack. England is probably, you know, the, the team that you want to face out of the pot one or whatever there was. I mean, if you want to face a big team, you probably want to face England compared to France or Germany or Brazil or Argentina. And I don't know. 
Do you have anything to add? I have to, I have to take a breath real quick before I go into England. I'm going to go with England to top of the group. I'm going to go with USA to finish second. Uh, do you have anything to add about uh, the U.S.? And then once you add that, I'll, I'll get, I'll get back to England. You can share a few thoughts on England before I, I go into mine. Yeah, I guess for me, my thoughts on this group, I was kind of thinking through it um, from a game by game standpoint. Um, I think my thoughts, I guess, on the U.S. are what we saw from them last summer, where it seemed like they were. Um, I don't know. They just couldn't stop winning. They were just, it was almost like a team of destiny despite, I mean, the, it was a lot less lower difficulty opponents, but I think they beat Mexico three times in a row and they just rose to the occasion time and time again. Um, which I mean, and like you said, there's so much young talent. I do kind of buy into the U S obviously extremely biased here, but I, I do buy into uh, the U S uh, making out of this group and performing well and, um, kind of playing up to competition against England. Uh, I will say, I when you look at like any writer talking about England, any like any any fan from England, I'm assuming at least, um, it's it's not what we get out of this group. It's going through scenarios and who they're going to play in the quarterfinals. And it's like, I just think there's a level of cockiness on England that, and maybe a level of like. I don't know, we want to prove people wrong kind of thing and underdog mentality on Wales and the U.S. that I think will help them maybe be able to grind out a draw against England. Um, both the U.S. and Wales, I think, are capable of that. So I actually have the U.S. drawing England 1-1. I have Wales drawing England. Uh, and then I have all three teams beating Iran. And then I have the U.S. beating Wales. So that would result in U.S. 1, England 2, Wales 3, which obviously biased, but I actually do think it's not as outrageous as it sounds just based off. I think I just think Wales and the U.S. are going to get up for that England game more so than maybe England's overlooking their opponents and uh, kind of looking ahead a little bit. And I do think they'll make it out and be fine. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I I think I think the U.S. and Wales could both um, kind of catch England on their heels a little bit, although Wales does play England last, I believe, which. Uh, maybe that hurts them if England kind of shows some desperation there when they realize it's they're not as safe as they could be. But yeah, those are my that's my thoughts in the group. I have US one, England two, making it out. Yeah, I think for Wales it could be tough in that last game because England will be able to knock out the cobwebs in those first two games. I think actually Iran playing England first is probably the best case scenario for them because they have the easier two games uh, in the last two games. And then let's say when they play England, if they get to halftime at nil nil or even say they nick a goal and go one nil up the England in halftime will feel the pressure. So I think Iran actually has a good draw playing England first. And then on to England, this is the team that lost in the semifinals to Croatia in 2018. They didn't really have, they didn't really play any great competition to get to the semifinals. In 2021, they lost to the Euro, lost in the Euro finals to Italy. Again, they didn't really have great competition to get to that final. They beat a lot of fairly average teams and they were, that term was basically all at home for them. I'm going to go so – I've noticed some trends in few past World Cup winners that I don't think apply to England. So let's start at goalkeeper. 2006, Italy won Gigi Buffon. 2010, Spain won with Igor Casillas. 2014, Germany won with Manuel Neuer. Those three goalkeepers are all legends of the game. Uh, Hugo Lloris won for France in 2018, so he's not as big a legend as the other three. But if you compare Jordan Pickford, he's just not on the same level as Igor Casillas, Manuel Neuer. Uh, Gigi Buffon so they have a problem I think in goalkeeper and yeah Jordan Pickford will be the worst goalkeeper to win the World Cup in the last five World Cup champions if he were to win then you go to defense 
26 Italy gave up one goal in the knockout stages. That was in the final against France. 2010 Spain did not give up a goal in the knockout stages. 2014 uh, Germany they gave up a goal and like they were up two nothing in extra time against Algeria. They gave up a goal very late on, so that doesn't really count. They beat France one 0 in the quarterfinals. They were up seven 0 against uh, Brazil, famously, where they gave up a goal in the ninth minute, so that doesn't really count. And then they won one nothing in the final against Argentina. So Germany basically gave up zero goals in the knockout stages of 2014. France a little bit different. They won 4-3 against Argentina in the round of 16. There's a few good goals, a few bad defending. Then they grinded out 2-0 win against Uruguay, where they didn't really give any chances away. 1-0 win against Belgium in the semifinals. I can't remember if Belgium even had a chance in that game. And then 4-2 against Croatia. There's a little bit of luck, I mean, and a few lots of concentration. But you need a steady defense to win these World Cups. And if you look at like the defenders over time, Spain with Sergio Ramos and PK and Puyol and Germany with Mats Hummels and Jerome Boateng, and then France with Rafael Varane. And these are players that have won at the highest level in club competitions as well, Champions Leagues, domestic titles. And if you look at England, I mean, John Stones and Harry Maguire aren't exactly on the level of those legendary figures that have won World Cups and Champions League at center back before in the last three or four World Cups. And then lastly, if you look at the midfields that have won these World Cups, Andrea Pirlo was in the midfield for Italy. Spain had probably the best midfield of all time with Xavi Iniesta and Sergio Busquets, Xavi Alonso. Uh, Germany had Tony Kroos and Semi Kadira, and these are players playing for Real Madrid, winning Champions Leagues. Uh, France with Angola Conte, who's won however many Premier Leagues, and Paul Pogba, who's a very talented player. And if you look at England's midfield, Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham, not exactly on that same level of Pogba and Xavi and Yesta and Tony Kroos. So I think England just lack the class at goalkeeper, center defense, and then just creativity in the midfield. Their attacking talent is up there with the best in the world, but I just don't think they have, if you look over history, the class to win this World Cup if you compare it to prior years. And that's my take on England. I think they'll, I think they'll have enough to get out of this group. And I don't think they'll lose a game in this group, but uh, I don't think that I don't think they're they don't have enough world class talent in the positions that matter to win the World Cup. Yeah, and I I also want to add too, like you mentioned that they have pretty elite attacking talent, but they're kind of lacking in other areas. But it was weird to me too because I felt like at the Euros they were like grinding out results, like one nothing wins or like just grinding out results, like maybe a team that was made up a little differently with more strength in the back end would uh, you'd expect to do. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, it seems like there's a lot of egos on that team and maybe a lot of thoughts that the talent level is a little bit better than maybe it actually is in reality. So uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not super confident in England um, as one of the top teams uh, in this world cup, to be honest. I, that's why I just, I have the U S grinding out some results here and uh, winning the group. Although, I, yeah, like I said, I do have England moving forward. Yeah, they just play so so defensive, and they don't really ever go for it. And I don't think managers of the World Cup really don't really matter. I mean, Spain are the best team. Germany are the best team. France are the best team. Is that They don't have legendary managers. I mean, club, club football manager really matters. International football, the manager just can't mess it up. And Gareth Southgate's kind of messed it up. And then they get a pass from the media because they're – doing well than they ever have but they could also do so much more so it's got it's twitter's mad they don't play attacking but then the people on tv cover for the manager because he's getting results but he's getting results against these average teams 
So yeah, it would be. I'd like to see England be a little bit more brave. Uh, play four at the back. Play get your because they're attacking players are their best players. So try and get as many on the field as possible. But they only play three attacking players, and they just try and patch up their kind of weak defense. But if they kind of went, you know, guns blazing, I think they have a better chance. But yeah, that's that's all I got in England. Uh, next group, Group C. Yeah, yeah, under Group C with Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Poland, and Mexico. Argentina unbeaten in their last 35 games, uh, 2021 Copa America champions. The storyline is all about Lionel Messi. This team just it seems to be fighting fighting for Messi maybe even more than their own country. Uh, so Messi, the last thing, it would make him the greatest player of all time if he were to lead Argentina to a World Cup. They have a lot of attacking talent. Uh, Julian Alvarez, Angel Correa, Angel Di Maria, Lautaro Martinez is a good striker. So they have enough talent in the forward areas. If you look at their midfield and defense, they're not filled with the best names in club football, but they have a sense. They have a lot of physicality to them. They, you know, they're a very physical team. They get into tackles and stuff like that. So they're not going to get bullied in the middle of the field. It's just they're a very scrappy team from back to front, and then the defense is very scrappy. The midfield is very scrappy. They're not as technical as maybe Brazil or Germany or France or Spain, but. If they keep a solid back line, which I think they can, and they're solid in the midfield, they can kind of give the ball to their forward players who can kind of create from there. So I think they have a good base. Uh, the 35-match on beaten streak is impressive. Uh, so they, they're going to be as confident as anyone to win this tournament. Uh, and as for the other teams, Saudi Arabia, I really don't have anything to say about them. I don't think they're a threat. Uh, so it's going to come down to Mexico or Poland. Poland finished last in their group in 2018. They just they have Lewandowski, but they don't really have anything else, and they haven't done anything. And Lewandowski is now like 34 or 35, and they've not done anything in any major tournament with him. So they kind of wasted the best striker, one of the best strikers in this generation. So I'm going to go with Mexico to go through to the next round. Argentina won, Mexico two. Although Mexico, I've got a lot of questions over them, and they've lost, as you already mentioned it, three times to the USA in 2021. That's horrible. And I don't know how their manager, Tata Martino, still has a job after losing to the USA three times. And then if you want to talk about Mexico, you have to bring up, it's called the Quinto Partido, the curse of the fifth game. They've been eliminated in the round of 16, seven World Cups in a row. And I I really see that happening again. I mean, they've not made it out of the round of 16 uh, in a World Cup if it's not been on Mexican soil. And if they don't finish first in their group, and we're going to talk about the next group, and if France finish first in that group, they will be playing France in the round of 16, and that'll be that'll be eight World Cups in a row getting knocked down in the round of 16. So I'm going to go with Mexico finish second. Because they, they do get to the round of 16, but they just can't. It's kind of like the Toronto Maple Leafs. They just can't get to the second round. They're not getting to the quarterfinals. And, yeah, they haven't they haven't been playing great recently, but Poland just – they've never done anything for me to pick them to do anything. Yeah, I have I agree with you in a lot of ways on this group. I have Argentina 1, Mexico 2, Poland 3. Um, and for the same reasons, I just – like Poland just doesn't, I have no reason to believe that they're going to advance or do much um, kind of a one man show. And I remember watching them at, I think at the Euros, I uh, watched a game and it was, it was literally hard to watch. Like they, they just, they, they can't get the ball up top. It was just, it was just bad. Um, and I just have no belief in them. Um, and then like Mexico, like I like three straight losses to us, like you said, I mean, that's horrendous, but, I don't know. I just kind of I, – I put them there by default, I guess, at number two. Um, but I had far and away the best team in this group. I think they'll get the max points, and I think they'll go through easily uh, with Argentina. I'm a huge fan of Argentina in this World Cup. 
Um, I, uh, big believer in Messi. I'm a big fan of Messi. I, um, and like you said, I think the team and the whole team will be, I mean, working extremely hard to try to win it for him. Maybe kind of a last dance thing, or maybe his last shot, at least as a real true world-class player. Um, he's getting up there in age, but I, uh, yeah, I have unbeaten in their last 35 matches caught my eye and I just, I don't know. I, I have a lot of belief in Argentina, uh, making a deep run this year. So I have done top in the group, but other than that, I don't have a ton to add. And then on to group D, this is going to be a, a pretty quick group. I don't even know how these teams got put together. I don't know which team is in pot three and four between Australia and Tunisia, but they, yeah, I don't think they send very much of a chance to qualify. The odds makers are putting heavy odds on France and Denmark to get out of this group. So it's basically in what order. Um, and it could, I could see France and Denmark playing to a draw, and then it probably comes into goal difference about who scores the most against Australia. So I'm going to go with France to top the group just because they have the most talent, but I'm not, I could see a scenario where they finish second in the group because, well, if we stick with France, they're the 2018 champions. And past history, Italy won in 26, 2006, and they got knocked out in the group in 2010, uh, though they were in a pretty good group. Uh, same thing with Spain. Spain won in 2010, and they got knocked out in a pretty good group in 2014. And then Germany won in 2014, and they got knocked out in a pretty easy group in 2018. So the last three World Cup champions have all gone out uh, in the group stages. It'd be really hard to see France messing this one up and getting knocked out in the group stages. They have so much talent. Although Pogba and Conte are injured, but they do have some depth in the midfield. Uh, young players like Kamavinga and Chuamene. Up top, Benzema, uh, Griezmann, Mbappe. Usman Dembele, I mean, they have so many options. I must say about France, and I have them going pretty far in this tournament, I wasn't too thrilled with how they played in 2021 Euros. They didn't play the – they got knocked out in the round of 16 by Switzerland, so I do have a little bit of questions on whether they can put it all together. 2018, they did win it all. They're a pretty solid team. They're the best team in the tournament, and they could easily do it again. But I do think that 2021 Euros kind of made me a little less confident in them because they were – they were. Everything that we're saying about France now is that they have such a great squad and they're one of the best teams in the tournament. We were saying that in the 2021 Euros and they got knocked out in the round of 16. And as for Denmark, uh, 2021 Euro semifinalists, and they're basically returning that whole same team. So I think they're not going to – same thing with the Netherlands. They're kind of on the similar level of the Netherlands where they're probably not going to win at all. But you're going to have to play a pretty good game to beat them in the round of 16. So, uh, yeah, I like the the – Danish squad, and I think they can kind of build off of the Euros performance. That'll give them a lot of confidence, a lot more experience. And obviously they're going to get Christian Eriksen back into that team who obviously had a tough – he collapsed in the uh, Euros, unfortunately. So he'll he'll go back into the team. And I think Denmark – wouldn't surprise me if they won the group, but I'm just going to do the safe pick and go France 1, Denmark 2. Yeah, I have the same. I France is – um, I'm a huge fan of France. And like you said, just one of the most talented teams. They have so many just – world-class top five players in the world even they have a couple it seems like so it's just um and also Benzema watching the Champions League semi-final and final like that guy on Real Madrid was just absolutely incredible in the clutch and obviously a super talented player but uh when the lights were the brightest he came through and um Bappe is just I mean the guy is like a human cheat code uh when he gets going and uh I think honestly too the Euros loss and disappointment might play in their favor a little bit. Uh, maybe that's counterintuitive, but kind of what I was talking about with England, where I think that there's a lot of unchecked egos on that squad. Like France obviously has a lot of egos themselves, but um, I don't know. Maybe it's 
maybe you they don't overlook opponents. Uh, they're not going to go in overlooking certain opponents and uh, kind of looking ahead uh, in certain games and be a little bit more focused maybe um, than they were at the Euros and uh, just with that that loss behind them. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I like France to make a deep run this year. And, uh, yeah, this group's pretty easy. France, Denmark, 1-2. On to Group E, uh, Spain, Germany, Japan, and Costa Rica. Costa Rica, I'll give them a quick shout-out. They were in a group of death in 2014 with England, Uruguay, and Italy. And they, I think they topped that group. And they made it to the quarterfinals, and they lost some penalty kicks to the Netherlands. So that's a – it's hard to – the odds makers are saying Costa Rica is not going to qualify. But stranger things have happened in 2014. Japan, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about them, but they did make it uh, to the round of 16 in 2018 uh, where they lost to Belgium 3-2, and they might have they might have been winning 2-0, or at least they were winning 2-1 in that game. So, But I think it's hard to look past Spain and Germany. Again, same thing could happen where Spain and Germany play to a draw, and then it's how do you, how do you, uh, how many goals do you score against Costa Rica type thing to see who goes one and two. I'm gonna go with Spain to win the group, and I think this team is growing. I like, I like what I saw from them in the Euros. They lost, lost on penalties to Italy in the semifinals, and if they won that game, they would have played England in the final. No guarantee, but let's say Spain win that game. Well, then they'd be European champions going into the World Cup, and I think they'd be a lot more, a lot different. Uh, a lot more optimism about this team, and they wouldn't be talked. They'd be talked about more, I think, if they came off of winning the Euros uh, going into this World Cup. So I think I like the way they I like the way that they play. I think they have a good manager in Luis Enrique. Now, a little question marks about how physical they can be at the back. I don't know which two center backs they're going to play, but whether they're going to they're going to have to compete and win some aerial duels, which could be a problem. But I do like the way that they control the game in the midfield. Uh, young players like Pedri and Gavi, and then uh, we'll see who they pick in center. Center defensive mid, whether it's Busquets or Rodri, I'd probably go with Rodri because he's a little bit younger. But also with Spain, they do so so much passing. A lot of the question marks is who's going to score the goals up top. So I like when they play with the recognized center forward. So maybe that'll be Alvaro Morata. But the rest of the team, I like, I like the passing. I like, the, I like how they can create chances. And hopefully uh, for Spain, they can create enough goals. The goals weren't really the problem in, in 2021. But Spain can also play in a way where they just pass the ball around forever and not really go anywhere. But if they don't concede, then it's all they need is one goal to win that game. As for Germany, uh, they lost to England in the round of 16 at the Euros in 2021. They were kind of in transition. And this is uh, their first tournament under their new manager, Hansi Flick. I like the squad is very interesting squad. There's a few interesting selections. Mario Götze, who scored the game-winning goal in 2014, somehow got in there. But he hasn't really been relevant in the last few years. They picked a 17-year-old, Yusufu Mukoko from Borussia Dortmund. He'll Maybe he'll come off the bench every once in a while. I like their attacking options. They have a lot of talent, but they don't really have a recognized striker. So they have like Kai Havertz and Thomas Muller and Leroy Sané. Jamal Musiala's had a good season at Bayern Munich. So they basically Bayern Munich's whole attacking uh, lineup, but none of them are like strikers like Lewandowski or Harry Kane. So I think, and they're pretty good in the midfield with Gundogan and uh, Goretzka, and they have they can put Kimmich in the midfield. So I, they have good midfield. They have good attacking players. Who they who, how they start and how they how they are going to score goals in those big games is going to be interesting to see. And then I do wonder at the back, they have a, a lot of let the back is a little bit less solid than it has been in previous years for Germany. But I think they're still Germany after all. So they're pretty solid pick, I think to, to go pretty far in the tournament. And I, I like their attacking talent. I just do wonder how they're going to eventually, how they're going to put it all together at the top of the field. Yeah. I, uh, 
I got the same two teams, but I have Germany finishing one and Spain finishing two in this group. I, uh, I, I like Germany. I like the classic uh, new manager boost with Hansi Flick taking the reins of this team. Uh, he was incredibly successful manager in two seasons at Bayern. Uh, and I also like the fact that their midfield has so many players from Bayern um, and the whole team up and down does, but especially the midfield. Um, and, you know, I think some chemistry there with each other and with the manager, uh, a lot of them have played under him. And then also Gundogan is on uh, Man City. He, I think, is one of the more underrated players in the Premier League. And that guy just produces every time he touches the field. Most players in Man City do, but um, I think he kind of maybe gets lost in the shuffle when it comes to, uh, you know, talk on Twitter and the media or whatever, uh, whatnot. Uh, when it comes to the Man City midfield and Man City squad and uh, their success. But he's, I think, is a world-class player. I think he's just uh, overlooked uh, and a beast. So I like Germany, uh, led by the new manager boost and some underrated talent, I think, uh, up and down the squad. Uh, and then, like you said, on Spain, I don't have a ton to add. I just think those two teams are pretty rock-solid picks here uh, to advance and uh, to make runs uh, in the elimination round. Yeah, I don't think there's much more to say say on that. I think, yeah, Germany Germany will be interesting to see because they're in a little bit of a transition. They have a lot of they have a good mix between old, experienced players and then some young players that'll be playing. Like Thomas Muller's played in like three or four World Cups by now, so we'll see how that plays out. On to Group F: Belgium, uh, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia. This one probably the hardest to pick. The second place team, assuming most people will pick Belgium to win the group. I guess we'll start – I'll start with Belgium. And I think a lot has been talked about with this golden generation, how they haven't lived up to the potential, and this is probably their last dance for the golden generation. They haven't won anything. They haven't won the World Cup. They haven't won a Euros. They haven't been to a final. But if you look at their look at their losses and when they've gone out, they're not the worst losses in the world. 2014, quarterfinal loss to Argentina, won nothing. Uh, 2018, World Cup semifinal, they lost to France, won nothing on like a corner kick goal or something. Where if they win that game, they're playing Croatia in the final, and that is a chance for the golden generation to stamp their mark on the game. So, I mean, they're really right there in those two those two tournaments. 20, 2016 Euros, they lost to Wales in the quarterfinals. That's a bad one. You can't really explain that one. 2021, they lost in the quarterfinals in the Euros to Italy. They were outplayed in that game. They deserved to lose, and Italy were the best team in that competition by far. But they lost to Argentina, France, and Italy in the three of their last four major, major uh, tournaments. I think for Belgium, a lot of people are going to be sleeping on them. Like a lot of people are going to be saying that you know they're past their prime, and they are. But I think if you have Thibaut Courtois in goal, and if you have Kevin De Bruyne in the middle of the midfield, I think you have a chance to win any game that you're playing in. And those will probably be the two best players on the field in any single game. The defense is a little bit a little bit shaky, a little bit older with Jan Vertonghen and Toby Alderweireld. They're still playing uh, in the Belgian league. Uh, they in the midfield, Yuri Tillemans is a good player. He plays for Leicester. They have a few few good players as well in the, in the wings. Yana Carrasco, Torgan Hazard, they can put in there. Up top, Eden Hazard really hasn't been playing well for the last few years. Uh, Romelu Lukaku hasn't really played well at all this year. He's kind of battling fitness. So those two players, if they're in their prime, you'd like this team a lot more. But I do think there's enough attacking talent, especially if Kevin De Bruyne is kind of creating for them. I think. I think there's enough attacking talent to definitely get out of this group. How far they can go, I'm not sure. But I wouldn't write them off in any game when you have Tibor Courtois on goal and Kevin De Bruyne in the midfield. As for Canada, uh, they topped their CONCACAF World Cup qualifying group. Alfonso Davies is their star player. 
Uh, Vegas thinks that they're the least likely to qualify from this group, so we'll see what happens there. Morocco, uh, they might. I'm talking. We talked about Africa, you know, sh- kind of struggling. Senegal have a chance to kind of do well for Africa. I think Morocco will as well. They were six zero and zero and twenty goals for and one goal against in World Cup qualifying, so they'll be coming in to this uh, group with a lot of confidence. And then Croatia is kind of the same as Belgium, where a lot of these players are on their last legs. I mean, they were 2018 World Cup runner-ups. It's hard to imagine that it's going to get any better for Croatia than finishing World Cup runner-ups in 2018. Luka Modric must be like 36 or 37 now. So they have a lot of familiar faces in the midfield, and then they don't really have much up top. Uh, so they'll – I don't know. I'm going to I'm gonna say that Croatia is – this could be a step too far for them. I'm going to go with Belgium to finish first. And I'm going to go with uh, Canada to finish second. Canada is plus 270 to qualify. Morocco is plus 230 to qualify. And Vegas likes Croatia at minus 270 to qualify, with Belgium being minus 600 as heavy favorites to qualify. But I'm going to go with the Vegas odds definitely scare me a little bit. But I'm going to maybe a little bit of CONCACAF bias. But I'm going to go with Canada to finish second and Belgium to finish first. I like that Canada pick. I have them finishing third, but I I think Alfonso Davies is – when I watched him play against the U.S. Um, over the summer, I think it was, I I mean, that guy was just – he was the best player on the field by far. He was dominant, and he honestly didn't have a ton of help, but he – I mean, that guy was just – every time he touched the ball, it was electricity. And he's only 22 years old too, so uh, this Canada team doesn't really have a ton of – or I don't think they have any experience um, on a stage like this. And uh, I don't think he really does either. And while well, representing Canada, but uh, I, I like Canada to maybe show some flashes and uh, especially Alfonso Davies, maybe to show some flashes of excellence and brilliance. And um, I mean, I, I, I honestly, I like that second place pick and it wouldn't shock me just because I think he's such a good player. Um, but I have them finishing third. I have Croatia finishing at the top of the group. Uh, number one, I guess, is my surprise there. Um, Modric, one of my favorite players. I I like the idea of the last dance with Modric. Uh, I I like Croatia. I think they're an easy country and team to root for. Uh, they were runner-ups to the last World Cup. I just – I don't know. I just think they're – they'll rise to the occasion. Modric, last dance. I, I like Croatia to make it out of the group. And like you said, like Belgium – um, I think the golden generation or whatever is a little past its prime maybe and uh, on its last legs. And I don't know. I, I think historically they haven't had great defensive quality, although their goaltender Courtois, that guy, um, at least in the champions league was just unbelievable. Uh, I mean, he was a joke how good he was. So I could totally see him completely shutting people down and them going on a run and making me look stupid. But I, I don't know. I just I don't love Belgium. I think it's kind of they were overrated almost. I think you could argue for a bit there. Um, they might have even gone into the last World Cup as the favorites or one of the top couple teams. Uh, but they I don't know. I just think that they've disappointed and come up short a lot. And now as they near their last legs, I don't really see them getting over the hump now. And I don't know. I just like Croatia. I like the narrative. So I have Croatia won Belgium, too. Yeah, I do like Belgium's uh, manager, Roberto Martinez. I like the way that he plays. He always has. I always like listening to him talk. I don't know. I think I take I take the cheese and fall for the bait a little bit. But smart guy. I think and they, they are a little bit past their prime, but I do think they're that kind of gives them a little bit of experience. I think, yeah. And also, they're not like a big 
soccer nation Belgium. So I think maybe there's a little bit less pressure on them compared to like an England golden generation last dance where there'd be a little bit more pressure on them. So I think, yeah, yeah, but I've, it's a little bit of bias picking, picking Belgium because I kind of want to see them go far and see, see what they can do. Cause they definitely, I want to see teams live up to their potential, live up to their talent. And like on FIFA, if you could play with them on FIFA in those golden generation years, they'd have pretty insane teams and insane talent. So on to, uh, on to Group G, uh, Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, Cameroon. Uh, I think it's all a question of who's going to finish second in this group. I mean, Brazil, 2018, they lost to Belgium in the quarterfinals, uh, which but they've gotten so much better since then. Uh, 2021, they lost Copa America final to Argentina. That was, a, that was the last time that Brazil lost, I think. So I don't have an exact number, but it's not 35 games like Argentina, but it's a pretty high number where Brazil hasn't lost in a long time. And... I think this is probably the best squad in the world. Allison, Ederson, and goal. I mean, you have two great goalkeepers. I guess you can only play one of them. Uh, defense is going to be interesting to see who they pick. They have three great center defenders, Eder Militao, Marquinhos, and Thiago Silva. Only two can play. The fullbacks aren't the best, but I don't think you need the best fullbacks to win in the World Cup. I think if you put in solid defenders who just don't make mistakes, and if you don't screw it up, and I think they have plenty of those people who can do that. I think the... At this point, whenever in any competition, you kind of always look at the best team and you kind of try and poke holes in them. So for the NFL, you kind of try and poke holes in, okay, where are the Chiefs bad and how are teams going to beat them? And March Madness, you poke holes in Gonzaga. And, okay, who's going to beat Gonzaga and how are they going to beat Gonzaga? And I think when you look at Brazil, that's kind of what you're doing here. Like you're poking holes. Okay, where are they not so good? But then when you do that, the fullbacks are probably the worst position on the team, but it's probably not that big of a hole in the grand scheme of things. Midfield? It'll be interesting to see who they pick and play in the midfield. They have a lot of options. Uh, we'll talk to Bahia about who he thinks is going to go into the Brazil midfield. It's probably not the best midfield in the world, but they probably get the job done. They have a good blend of talent and then you know physicality in the midfield. But up top is where their team really has so many options. With You have to think Neymar is definitely playing. Vinicius Jr. is definitely playing. And then I think Rafinha has been starting for them a lot. Even Richarlison's been starting for them a lot, and then they have options off the bench, whether it's Gabriel Jesus and Gabriel Martinelli have been playing great for Arsenal. Uh, Rodrigo, the sub, the uh, he's been a super sub for Real Madrid in their Champions League run, so he's already used to that role. He knows how to do that role. So Brazil, I think, yeah, they're, they're probably the most complete team. Uh, when you go over the criteria that I had before, uh, winning World Cups, you know, goalkeepers, defenders, midfielders, uh, they probably have it. I mean, they're going to be tough to score on, I think, in this World Cup. I don't see them giving goals away. They're pretty solid at the back. So I think if they can just kind of keep a solid back line and then just feed their front players, I think they're going to be tough to tough to beat. And then as for uh, – I'm just going to say no to Cameroon. I don't know much about them. Uh, Vegas has them plus 300 to qualify, which are the worst odds in the group. So I guess it wouldn't surprise me because Serbia and Switzerland aren't the best, but I'm going to say I'm just not going to analyze Cameroon right now. I'm going to go between Serbia and Switzerland. And I'm looking at Serbia's squad. They have a lot of, like, good talent, that you know, recognizable talent. Mitrovic, the Fulham striker, he didn't play this weekend. I think he might have been sitting out for the World Cup. I'm not sure. He's a handful. of. He made a big money transfer, like 60 or $70 million a few years ago. Uh, then they have recognizable players like Tadic, Kostic, uh, Milinkovic, Savage. Uh, those are all kind of midfield type players. I'm not sure how they are defensively, but they probably have bigger names than Switzerland. But I'm going to go with Switzerland to make it through to the next round. And if you look at their prior history, uh, 2014 World Cup, round of 16 lost to Argentina. 
2016 Euros, round of 16 loss to Poland. 2018 World Cup, round of 16 loss to Sweden. That's probably one that they would regret. Sweden's probably not that much better than them. And then 2021 Euros, they already said they beat France in the round of 16. And they lost to Spain in the quarterfinals on penalties. So I just think when I look at Switzerland in major competitions, I see a history of them progressing out of the group. They're not going to go very far after they progress out of the group. They're not a dark horse. But just because they've been so solid, so steady Eddie and getting out of their groups, getting into the knockout rounds, uh, and Serbia don't really have that history, even though they might have slightly better players on paper. I'm going to go with Brazil one and uh, Switzerland two. Yeah, I have the uh, same thing there. I think that Switzerland taking down France in the Euros maybe gives it gives me kind of um, a sense of like maybe if of any team in this group, they probably have the best chance of stealing a point or uh, stealing a win even against Brazil, maybe. Um, if anyone were to do it, which is pretty unlikely, but, uh, yeah, I think Brazil runs away with this group. I, I, Vinny Jr. and Neymar, and I don't know, just, they're the world cup favorites. They have so much talent. Uh, I mean, historic footballing nation. I, I just think there is a lot of pressure on them. Uh, but, uh, it seems like every world cup, they show up and maybe they fall short in the end, but, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think Brazil cruises through this one, and I do like Switzerland to finish second for the same reasons you had. They're just They consistently get out of group stages, and I like the idea of them maybe stealing a point against Brazil if anyone were to do and then giving them the edge over Serbia and Cameroon. Yeah, I think uh, Brazil and Switzerland played in 2018, and they tied 1-1 in the first group game. But, yeah, Brazil, I think they haven't had as much talent. As well, they're always one of the talked-about teams going into the World Cup in a big nation. They haven't had this much talent in the last few World Cups where they haven't won at all. On to Group H, Portugal, Uruguay, uh, Ghana, and South Korea. I'm not really going to talk much about Ghana and South Korea. I don't really have a whole lot to say about them. Uh, South Korea star player Huming Song, he kind of got injured recently, but it's like an eye injury, so I think patch that up. I think he'll be ready to go. He was a Golden Boot winner in the Premier League last year. He's one of my favorite players uh, in the world to watch. Uh, but he hasn't had a great season this year. He's kind of been out of form. And representing his country is going to be a big deal. He's, uh, you know, the South Koreans take that seriously. And uh, he's already been, he's already done his military service. But, you know, for a lot of those players, if they go far in the World Cup, they don't have to do the two-year mandatory service or whatever. So, uh, Huming Sung kind of headlines that team, but he can't really do it all himself. And he's not in, he's not in the form he is in last year. As for Portugal... At the World Cup, they haven't really turned up. I mean, 2014, they failed to make it out of the group stage. 2018, they lost to this Uruguay team 2-1 uh, to one in the round of 16. 2021 Euros, they lost to Belgium in the round of 16, 1-0. They did somehow win the 2020, 2016 Euros, uh, but that was kind of without Ronaldo. Ronaldo kind of got hurt, and I don't even know how they won that. I don't even think they, they didn't even win a game in the group stage, I think. They finished third. And they, they might not even won a game in regulation for a few rounds. They might have won a few on penalties. So that was kind of a fluke, I think. They do have a ton of talent. Uh, can they put it all together? I'm not really sure. I mean, they kind of have to play Ronaldo at striker. You're not going to take Ronaldo and leave him on the bench. So they kind of have to force feed Ronaldo. They do have a lot of really good players. I mean, Bruno Fernandes. I think Bernardo Silva is one of the most underrated players in the world. They have a lot of talent in the midfield, a lot of talent in attacking areas. The defense is pretty solid. Uh, Jao Cancelo, Ruben Diaz are really good players. The goalkeepers are the serviceable goalkeepers. They're not the best in the world, but they don't. they're not terrible goalkeepers. So... They're more talented than Uruguay, but I'm going to go with Uruguay to win the group. Uh, Portugal are favored to win the group, but I'm going to go with Uruguay. And I think I have a lot of respect for this, for Uruguay as a whole. And going over 
past history. 2010 World Cup, they're semifinalists. 2011, they win the Copa America. Uh, 2014 World Cup, they lose in the round of 16 to Colombia. That was a bad one. They, Luis Suarez was biting people and getting suspended. 2018 World Cup, quarterfinal loss to France. I mean, that's the world champions. And this is a country of like 3 million people. Uh, and somehow they keep getting to the World Cup and keep going pretty deep. And they're, they're going to be a tough out, I think. And if you look at their team, up top, uh, Luis Suarez is still there. I think he'll start alongside Darwin Nunez, who made a big money move to Liverpool. I think he obviously hasn't had the best season in Liverpool, but going to a new club is going to take a little bit of time to adjust. And I think some of these players, especially South American players, really do love playing for their country. And I think coming back and playing for his country, he's going to feel a lot more comfortable in this Uruguay team than he does uh, in Liverpool this season. And then in midfield, they have some good players. I mean, Rodrigo Bentancor, he plays every, he plays pretty much every week for Tottenham. Uh, Federico Valverde plays every week and very, very well for Real Madrid. He's you know part of a Champions League winning team for Real Madrid. So I think, and they have some serviceable defenders who are pretty tough, uh, who have experience. So I think I'm going to go with Uruguay uh, to finish first. I'm going to go with Portugal probably to disappoint and finish second. And also it has to be said, whoever finishes second in this group is playing Brazil in the next round. So. Uh, finishing first in this group is more important than a lot of the other groups. Yeah, I um, I went with uh, Uruguay one, Portugal two. Uh, I really, really, really wanted to make pick Portugal third in their group, but South Korea and Ghana just aren't inspiring a ton of confidence in me. I will say, I, I mean, I'm just gonna, I'm too soft to make it my official pick, but I, I would not be surprised if Portugal loses. I just, um. The vibes around that team are just giving me not a ton of confidence. I, the whole Ronaldo drama with Man United and he's barely played and hasn't done anything when he has played. It's just uh, – I'm not a Ronaldo fan to begin with. And like you said, Portugal hasn't really showed up uh, when it matters. And I don't know. I just I – don't, I don't see this team doing much, making much noise. And honestly, if Ghana or South Korea shocked the world and took them down and Portugal – uh, got eliminated in the group stages, it wouldn't surprise me. So um, I have them making it out, but getting killed by Brazil in that uh, round of 16. Um, Uruguay, I like a lot. I Luis Suarez, is uh, he's o- older now, but I think he's a legend of the game. And he's just um, – I don't know. I think he's just a winner in my eyes. I, I'm just a fan of his. And obviously the biting thing, uh, that's way behind him now. But I don't know. I like Luis Suarez. He just – I'm a fan of his, and I'm a little biased there, but I'm going to pick them to pretty uh, easily advance in this group uh, as the one seed. Um, but, yeah, that's that's all I really have to add. I, I like Uruguay. don't like Portugal. Uh, and I, I wish I had the – there was a third team in this group that maybe gave me a good narrative to pick as a Cinderella story two-seed or something, but I just not really buying into South Korea or Ghana. Yeah, Portugal, a lot of the things that we said about England can be also be said about Portugal. I and mean, the manager doesn't really convince. You know, they don't really play great attacking style for the amount of great attacking players that they have. So uh, that's all I have. To, and then, yeah, Luis Suarez, another one of those. He's a he's a big game player. He's the best, probably the best striker that I've seen uh, play in my lifetime, I think. I would say if I had to pick between you know him and Lewandowski and Benzema and, Benzema and Harry Kane and all those you know, strikers of the last decade, Luis Suarez at his best in his prime, I think is better than any of those strikers. He's not in his prime anymore, but I think in a big game, he can still nick you a goal uh, when it really matters. And he has a history of scoring uh, goals in the World Cup. So I think he'll be he'll be ready to go. Uh, so let's fill out our brackets then. Uh, let's go for the round of 16. Uh, so 
we'll start with Netherlands versus USA. Netherlands finished first. USA finished second. I'm going to go with the USA. Very biased pick, yes. Netherlands, I do think, are a good team, but I just think something about them just gives me vibes where they kind of just mess mess it up in the end. I don't know. I think I think the USA might be even the more athletic team in that game. The USA have a lot of athleticism in the uh, in the midfield. I do think it'll be tough for the USA to score on the Netherlands because they have good center defenders. So I think this is going to go to extra time. I'm going to go with the USA to kind of outlast Netherlands, maybe. Maybe a penalty kicks. Uh, I don't see very many goals being scored in this game. Uh, Argentina, Denmark. Uh, I'll just go with Argentina. Uh, Denmark will be a tough out, uh, but I think Argentina. I don't think Lionel Messi's going home against Denmark. Uh, Spain against Canada. Spain, yes. Canada, I think the magic run for Canada ends against Spain. I think that's a pretty favorable game for Spain. Game in the round of 16. Brazil, Portugal. Uh, I'm going to go with Brazil. Uh, and then for the other round of 16 games, I'm going to go with England versus Ecuador. I think England, no matter what, is going to advance to the quarterfinals. Despite all our question marks about them, I do think they're good enough uh, to beat Ecuador, Senegal, or the Netherlands, whoever they play in the round of 16. I don't, their problem hasn't been beating these types of teams. France against Mexico. I think the Mexican curse continues. I'll go with France. Belgium versus Germany. That's the toughest game for me to pick. I'm going to go with... I just trust Germany a little bit more. Uh, the Germans are very tough to beat in these competitions. So I just name on the front of the jersey, Germany, Belgium. I'm just going to go with Germany. It's kind of a happiness hedge too because I really want Belgium to go through. But I'm going to go – I like to, I kind of like seeing Germany get knocked out early. But I think my, my head prevails. I'm going to go with Germany just to nick that one. And Uruguay, Switzerland, I'm going to go with Uruguay to continue their uh, good performance at the World Cup. Uh, you want to go through your round of 16 first? Yeah. Uh, so the way mine works out, I have Netherlands versus England. I have England winning that game. Um, even though with my concerns, I do think they're just the better team there and they'll advance. Uh, I have Argentina over Denmark. Uh, that was a pretty easy pick for me. I just like Argentina a lot, like I said. I have Germany versus Belgium. And also, like I said, I, I like Germany to make a run. I had them as the number one seed in their group. And uh, Belgium, I'm did not really want to pick to advance, but I did. So I'll have Germany uh, winning there. I uh, Brazil versus Portugal. Um, same similar things there. I Brazil front runner favorite. Portugal I didn't even want to have into this round. It just didn't have another option really. So I'll Brazil handily beating Portugal. Um, next game uh, the U.S. versus Senegal. Uh, similar to you, a lot of buys here, but. Like we said, outside of Mane, I don't really know a ton about Senegal. African teams haven't really performed uh, amazing at the World Cup in the past, and Mane might be hurt anyway, so I'll take the U.S. there. Um, and then France versus Mexico, I think France beats Mexico. Uh, the curse lives on uh, is my pick there. And then uh, I was pretty chalked so far, but uh, I have Croatia versus Spain, and I'm going to pick Croatia. Like I said, I kind of like Modric uh, to lead a little bit of a run here, a last dance type of thing. So uh, I'll take Croatia to beat Spain in that game. Uh, and then Uruguay versus Switzerland. Uh, Uruguay, I'm uh, picking to win that game. So, uh, yeah, those are my round of 16 picks. On to the quarterfinals, mine works out where the USA plays Argentina, and I think Argentina win that game pretty easily. I think there was a – when the Copa America was at in the United States, these two teams played – 
it's maybe the quarterfinals or a knockout game, and Argentina kind of cleaned up against us. Obviously, we don't have the same players we did now, but still, I think it's just when you, when the United States reaches this type of uh, this part of the tournament, there's going to be a golfing class, and that's when it's kind of kind of end. I guess it would quickly about the United States. I, not only do I want to see them get out of the group, which they need to do, I actually I want to see them be competitive. I think if they are competitive in these knockout games. Even if they lose to the Netherlands in my scenario, if they're competitive, I think still think that's something to build off of. If you lose three nil, I think that's kind of tougher to tougher to sell in the twenty twenty six. So I think a good showing would be getting out of the group and then being competitive. And even if you, if you lose, fine, but show up and make a good account for yourself. And then for the quarterfinals, Spain Brazil, I'm gonna go with the upset in Spain. Uh, I think. I, like, I just like the way Spain can kind of control these games at the international level, and it's kind of boring picking the the favorite all the way through. So I'm going to go with Spain uh, to win this one. I do think, yeah, it's it's tough, but it's a tough sell. But I do think Spain, their, their midfield, I think they'll be able to keep the possession in this game. Uh, hopefully their, their back line can kind of hold up against Brazil's attackers. It might be tough to score in Brazil, but I do think that uh, Spain will – create just enough chances to win this game. So I'm going to go with Spain uh, to beat Brazil. And then the other quarterfinals, France against England. Uh, I don't really think this is going to be a great game, to be honest. I think both teams might play in like a pr- pragmatic way. But I'm going to go with France to advance. And until I see England beat France, Brazil, or Germany, or France, Brazil, or Argentina, even Spain kind of, I'm not going to pick them to do it until I see it. So this will be a team in their prime. I'm going to go with, England just hasn't beaten this team over the last few years. So I'm going to go with France to advance to the semifinals. And then Germany and then reverse Uruguay. While I do love Uruguay, this team will hit. They'll have a ceiling at some point. I think they can make it to the quarterfinals. But you kind of saw it in 2018 where they were in good form. Uh, but they didn't really have great answers for France in that quarterfinal game. And when they re- when they play against the best teams, they'll be competitive. Score might be close, but they not they're never really a threat to score a goal so in these types of games. So I'm going to go with uh, Germany to beat Uruguay because they have just slightly a little bit more talent than Uruguay. And, yeah, I think Uruguay making it to the quarterfinals will be another great run. Uh, so my qu- semifinalists are Argentina, Spain, France, and Germany. My uh, my picks, I the way mine works out, uh, first game be England versus Argentina. Um, I have Argentina taking down England, I think, uh, it's kind of a messy legacy tournament, uh, last dance. And I, like I said, I have a lot of concerns about England and I like Argentina a lot. So I have England or Argentina, sorry, taking down England. Uh, and then the other game in that bracket, uh, works out to be Germany, Brazil, which I think by the way, those two games would be pretty awesome TV and pretty awesome to watch. And, uh, Germany famously beat Brazil. Was it seven to one, uh, at the world cup in 2014? Uh, so in my, like I said, I like Germany. I think they're kind of getting a little bit overlooked uh, as one of the five or six best teams in the world. Um, and I think they're completely capable of taking down Brazil and maybe they have their number. So give me Germany uh, and Argentina uh, advancing on that side. And then the other side, I have the U.S. taking on France, which as uh, an American and as a fan, I, I do think that if you get to the stage, like I – I would love for them to be competitive in a game against France talent wise. It's, I don't know how likely that would be, but I think, I mean, if you make it to a round where you're playing against the other teams that are left are 
Argentina, Germany, Brazil, England, France. Like I, I think that's pretty impressive and says a lot about how far they've come uh, since four years ago and uh, especially with such a young team. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'd be pretty happy if they can make it this far. It would be disappointing, obviously, to see them lose, even though it's very likely. But I have France uh, advancing. Uh, I think France will – I just – I think the talent gap is too much, and I think France will probably – uh, beat us by a lot, but what are you going to do? Um, and then the last game in this round, I have Croatia versus Uruguay. I wanted to pick Modric, but I also I, – I really like both these teams, to be honest. I think both of them are kind of sleeper picks for me, so it's a shame that they uh, have to play each other in this round. But I have Uruguay advancing. Luis Suarez, big game player. I think maybe he'll uh, score a clutch one at the end or something. I don't know. I just um, – I like Uruguay, and so I have Uruguay as the final uh, team advancing to the semis. And then for the semifinals, first game, Argentina versus Spain. Uh, I just think Argentina playing for Messi and all that is a great story, but I think at the end of the day they're going to lose to a team that just has a little bit more talent and technical ability than they do. So I'm going to go with Spain to win this one and make it into the final. And I just think Spain – while they don't have a star player such as Messi, I think it's kind of one of those where the sum is greater than the you know the individual parts. And I think I might have missed a word in that phrase, but the sum is greater than the individual parts. And I, I'm going to go with Spain to make it to the final. France versus Germany. I just I like France because I just know I know the spine of their team is just a little bit stronger than Germany's. At the end of the day, I think they have better center backs, slightly better in the midfield, and then up top, I think Mbappe and Benzema are just more clinical than you know, the creative players that Germany has. So I'm going to go with France and Spain to be in the World Cup final, and I'm going to go with Spain to win it all. I really do think this team is going to build off of what they did in 2021 Euros. I think they're going to learn from it. I really like the manager, Luis Enrique. I think the way that they play is suited for international style. And what I've been saying, you know, when I've told a few people, who do you think who do you like for the World Cup? And I say Spain. And people are like, why Spain? And you kind of have to find ways to defend the prediction you go to Vegas odds and Spain's the fourth favorite at plus 750. So it's not exactly like this team has no chance of winning the world cup. I mean, you know, they're kind of right there. They're the next tier below uh, Brazil, Argentina, France, in terms of who people like, and maybe total talent on the squad. But I think, I think Spain is ready to take that next step and kind of achieve what they didn't achieve in the euros. They're going to have to, it's going to be tough to do against, you know, if they finish first in their group, they have to face Brazil in the quarterfinals. That'll be a big game. But I think if they can get past Brazil, I like their chances. And as for Argentina, I do th- right now most people have it. If Argentina and Brazil top their group and keep winning, they'll face in the semifinals, which I think I think I haven't I think you're gonna have that as well. I just I, I just think Brazil is more talented. So I think Argentina is gonna max out at the semifinals. Uh, stage and Messi's not quite going to get the send off he's looking for, and it'll be a great run to the semifinals. But I think at some point, uh, another team is just going to kind of have a little bit more talent, a little bit more weapons, uh, and just a little bit more ability than Argentina, and it's going to overcome Argentina's greediness. And I think Spain will have a little bit more technical ability and will be able to control the possession more. And I think that they're going to end up beating Argentina in the semifinals, and then. Yeah, I think they're going to beat France in the final. And France France winning it all is definitely a possibility, but I can't. I don't even know if anyone's ever repeated in the World Cup. Definitely not in the modern era. It might, might have happened in like 1930, 1934, 1950, and 1954, something like that. But it hasn't happened 
definitely not in my lifetime and not in my parents' lifetime, I don't think so. It's unlikely that a team repeats, so I'm going to go with Spain as kind of my dark horse pick to win it all, uh, but they are the fourth favorites, so they definitely have a chance. Yeah, mine, uh, mine actually works out to be Argentina-Germany because I have Germany beating Brazil. Um, and then I uh, I have uh, Argentina beating Germany. Um, I just – like I said, I think I'm a big fan of Messi. I like Germany a lot. I like Argentina a lot. Obviously, I put them all the way to the semis, but I I don't know. I just think Argentina – I think maybe this is the year that they can get over the hump or at least get close to it, and I just think – that desperation of that, like, there's no, there's no next World Cup for us. There's no next, whatever for Messi. Like, this is it. We like it's now or never, pretty much. I do think that might, um, when it comes down, rubber meets the road, maybe gives them the slightest little edge they need to get over the hump there. So I'll have Argentina beating Germany. Uh, that would be a good game though. And then France, Uruguay. I like Uruguay to make a run, but I think the France talent will be a little too much for them uh, in the semifinal and, uh. Yeah, Uruguay, a little Cinderella-type run there, uh, falls short against France. So uh, my World Cup final will be Argentina versus France. I, Like I said, I, I just think France maybe probably is the most talented team in the world and uh, have has highest concentration of world-class players of any team here. And um, I do kind of think France maybe is not overlooked is not the right word, but I like if, if they beat Switzerland in that, Euros game, I think they probably go into this as I'd say you could argue you could go into this uh, World Cup as the favorite to win it all. So uh, instead of the third favorite, so um, I don't know. I, I like France to uh, go to the final against Argentina. I also will say my my path for France is very easy. I, they play Mexico, USA, Uruguay. That's I mean, you can't really ask for a better path to the World Cup final. I would say it doesn't. It's not exactly they're not. They're not playing Germany, Spain, Brazil, Argentina's of the world to get there. Uh, yeah, you can definitely say that. If they finish first in their group, uh, they'll be on the opposite side of Argentina and Brazil if they finish first. So that's definitely that's definitely a possibility. Um, yeah, I don't know if how much how much I have to add. So, who is your champion between Argentina and France again? What's what's that? Who is your who is your champion again between Argentina and France? Oh, I and then I didn't. Uh, yeah, my champion pick is Argentina. I have Messi, Messi uh, going out on top and winning it all. I didn't like you said. I don't want to pick the back-to-back World Cup winner. Um, was part of that too, and I, I don't know. I just think, I just think Messi. I want to see him go out on top. I think that's. Uh, I don't know. Messi legacy tournament. Messi legacy game. Uh, I think that would be pretty legendary. So. Uh, yeah, maybe it's more so what I want than what I think, but I'll take Argentina over France in the final. And who was knocking out Brazil again? Was that Germany? Germany's knocking out Brazil. Oh, so I missed I missed that part. Yeah, Germany Germany upsets Brazil in the. Uh, I think Germany has Brazil's number. That's that's why that's that's why I'm taking that. I think yeah. seven seven one demons and ghosts come up and uh, Neymar maybe crumbles under the pressure again. I don't know. Yeah, that'll definitely. There will be so many highlights of seven one being played before that game, and then also with your uh, with your bracket, Argentina Germany in the semifinals would be a rematch of the twenty fourteen final, and then Argentina lost to France in the twenty eighteen round of sixteen. So if Messi were to win the World Cup, beating those two teams, he that he beat two teams that knocked him out in uh, the last two World Cups. Yeah, I, I think I got some uh, narrative wise. I think my uh, bracket. I like I like what I'm seeing. I. 
It's uh, I don't know. I think there'll be it'll be a pretty electric World Cup if it goes everything goes according to plan here, which it won't. But uh, I got. And some- then whenever you whenever you uh, whenever you watch March Madness, you're always like, oh, it's rigged for Duke and it's rigged for Coach K, and you know you watch all these Cinderella teams. There's a lot of upsets in March Madness, but then there's some teams that just foul calls against them, and it gets to get. You think it's you think March Madness is rigged, knowing you, and then. It, FIFA could easily rig this to where Messi gets a few late calls in some of these games and where you know, Argentina, Denmark, I mean, the referee is going to be under heavy pressure. He's not going to be calling penalty kicks a lot easier for Argentina than he will be for Denmark. Let's just say that. So I think if there's if FIFA were to rig this thing, Ronaldo isn't really a great story this year because he really hasn't done anything and he hasn't really been close to winning the World Cup as Messi has. So I think, I think the rigging could work. If there is rigging, it could work in your favor with, uh, with Messi. I like that. I, I like to. I need to stop trying to go against the rig, and I just need to give into the rig. So I'm happy that I'm on the right side of uh, the rigness there, and I'm going with Argentina because I agree with that. I can totally see that. I don't know. I mean, also though, I guess you could argue like if, if there's rigging involved, I'm guessing England would be uh, a big uh, FIFA would want them to go far. I'm guessing England really boosts the TV ratings. Uh, although I guess they are a smaller country, but still the. Um, I don't know. So, yeah, I, I'm glad I'm on the right side of the rig there for the hypothetical rig if it happens. Argentina, uh, it's a good storyline. That's what I want to see. All right. I think that's uh, that's all I've got. I've kind of said all I need to say about about all the teams. Uh, what we're going to have coming up next, we're going to have uh, Bahia breaking down Brazil more. We're going to go into more of their uh, starting 11, some of the tactics that they might be using, see who Bahia Bahia definitely thinks Brazil's winning it all, but we'll see who Bahia thinks might be the biggest threats and challenges to Brazil. Talk to Matthew Hennessy, who's a USA expert. He has a few thoughts on the squad about that Greg Berhalter's picked. We'll also talk to uh, Sean, who's an England expert. And then we'll also talk to Finn, who will round us out with a few, few hot takes about the USA, about England, about a few other teams. So Finn definitely has a few things that he wants to say that'll, that he thinks will happen in this World Cup. So... Yeah, that's all. That's all I got for now, and we'll have the uh, the individual segments coming up shortly. Yeah, thanks for listening, and be sure to follow us on uh, bias underscore underscore opinion too on Twitter uh, for uh, every time we have a new episode. Thanks. And welcome back to the pod, Bahia. Bahia, for those who don't know, is uh, Brazilian, so I'm sure he has massive expectations for Brazil at this World Cup. So, Bahia, is it fair to say? that it is World Cup or bust for Brazil. Yeah, I think that's always the expectation um, for a national team as success- successful as Brazil. And that's always the expectation coming and going into any World Cup uh, for the people back at home and for myself as well. So that's always the view. You know, uh, uh, all people talk about is, um, this, is that this World Cup is going to be when we win the sixth you know, World Cup title. Um, and that's how what the narrative has been um, for the past 20 years. So that's definitely the expectation for this year as well. Do you think that chasing the sixth, sixth World Cup title adds too much pressure to the players? Do you think it's something that they can embrace or at the end of the day it doesn't really matter? It's the same for everyone. Uh, you know, I mean, like, it, it, it can have some effect. But at the end of the day, I think that soccer, uh, like, players in general, especially players that are very experienced and play in European leagues and face this kind of pressure, you know, week in and week out in all competitions they play. 
they're pretty used to uh, this kind of this kind of situations. And most players that will be ha- that will be starting at least for Brazil, uh, it's not their first World Cup. Um, you know, they have some many of them have some sort of experience as well. So uh, I believe that it, it might have some effect, but I think that it won't be too too negative in, in a way. But if 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 it has any effect, probably most likely positive. So what are your thoughts on the 26-man squad that's going to Qatar for Brazil? Are there any notable omissions or surprises? I mean, I think the general consensus is that this is uh, one of, if not the best squad that is going to the World Cup. Yeah, so the consensus, uh, I'd say surprise on the list was Danny Alves um, because, you know, he hasn't been playing uh, well or in high level of competition for a while now and you know I mean I guess he we don't really expect him um, to ever touch the field even if like for example the first right back which is Danilo goes down I think that there's more it's more likely that Militown comes in there right back rather than Danny Alves so I guess he's there to like I don't know but that's just the thing you know it's the Brazilian national team if you're not gonna call a player to play, then it's kind of a waste of a spot, but maybe not, you know, like I'm not in the locker room. I don't see what the coach sees. So maybe that he thinks that he has some kind of positive effect on, on the whole squad and the team and the players. And cause he's been, he's been with, with involved in the national team for the past couple of years. Um, definitely like in the last 15 years or so. So he has some history, but um, I think that's probably the, the greatest surprise and a mission, you know, a lot of people obviously talk about Firmino, but I think that a lot of Brazilians uh, like don't, don't, don't think that as much as people from outside Brazil think about Firmino versus Richarlison, for example, because um, people don't really, uh, like not the majority of Brazilians watch Premier League week in and week out. So what they see is that, Richarlison has a very good goal-scoring record for Brazil, especially in the past two years or so, and Firmino not so much. So I think that people are not as, you know, um, surprised by that um, situation. And I guess the other omissions you could mention are uh, Gabriel as a fourth center back, which I, I don't really see much difference. Like, I don't think he did a doing with, with play either way. So it doesn't really matter, in my opinion. Um but yeah, and the last one would be, uh, at least for the public back in Brazil, is uh, Gabriel uh, Barbosa, Gabigol, plays in the Brazilian league. I don't think he should be called because <laughs> it's not like he's like a technically refined player, uh, a unique player, which is a case of Pedro, for example, which is the other striker in the Brazilian league that was called. Um, he's a very technical player, a very technical striker, which is unlike any other player we have in our squad. Gabigol is more like of a product of his situation. He plays in the best team in Brazil, surrounded by the best players, some of the best midfielders, including one of them that was called to the national team as well for the World Cup. So he's more of a product of his situation rather than him being a special player. So I don't see a problem with that either. So what do you think the first starting level will be for the first match? I think it's against Serbia. Uh, this isn't a team that you would pick, like uh, if you're playing FIFA 23. Like, What do you think is a team that manager... Uh, Chiche will pick. Yeah, uh, my view on him is he's probably more the type to be conservative. So I think that he's definitely going to go with three players in the midfield. Um, so 
I likely starting lineup will be Allison, uh, Danilo, Thiago Silva, Marquinhos, and Alexandro, which is the usual back four. I think it's probably the most frequent back four we had in qualifying. Um, and then Casemiro. Um, I think that he might go Fred just because Bruno, uh, Bruno G hasn't started a lot of games for Brazil, but I'd love to see him start Bruno G instead. Um, and then Paqueta, the last of the three midfielders. And then a forward is actually, I, I'm not too sure. It's actually a good question because definitely Vinny Jr. and Neymar, but that last spot, um, I'm actually in doubt if he he's going to go Rafinha or Richarlison. Uh, so I think it could be either one, but I definitely think that he'll he'll start with three in the midfield, um, whoever those three are. So you don't think against the lesser teams he'll only start two in midfield and try and get maybe four of the attacking players on the field? Uh, it depends. If, if, if For example, if our last game we go in to play Cameroon and we're like somewhat guaranteed, then yes, because, you know, we don't have to worry about defending as much, but like, Serbia and Switzerland, at the end of the day, aren't teams that you can't just overlook offensively. Um, Serbia has, have, has players like Mitrovic and Tadic uh, up front, which if you leave space, too much space in behind, they can definitely cause some trouble. And same, same with Switzerland, you know, um, which has and both of these teams gave have finished first in their qualifying group, I think ahead of Italy and another, I think ahead of Italy and Portugal. So it's definitely two teams you can't overlook and you can't just leave um, more unprotected. But, yeah. So then where are some of the biggest weaknesses, if any, in this Brazil team? A lot of people talk about the fullback position. I don't think that's a major concern. As long as you have two players that are kind of serviceable and don't make mistakes, then you don't need the best fullbacks in the world to win the World Cup. But what about – I kind of look at the midfield, and they're not filled with, like, the greatest – They're not. there's no, like, Kevin De Bruyne is in this midfield or – uh, anyone like that? So is is the midfield good enough to to win the World Cup? You think? Are you confident in the midfield? Like those aren't those players aren't really playing week in week out for the biggest teams in the world, especially like Paqueta, mm-hmm. for example. He's playing for West Ham. Yeah. So well, in the past, the biggest uh, our downfall pretty much has been um, a player getting suspended or hurt, and we and not having the necessary players or like up to par players to replace them. So last World Cup, for example, against Belgium, Casemiro was injured. No, sorry, not injured, suspended. We played Fernandinho, which is, you know, he, he, he he's good for City, but at the time it was a big consensus that Fabinho should have been called instead of Fernandinho. And the result was that Fernandinho played an atrocious game and even scored an own goal. And we lost against Belgium. And we also played our backup right back because Daniel was suspended. And our backup right back in the occasion was um, a guy that played in the, in the Brazilian league, so he wasn't that he definitely wasn't up to par to what we needed, um, especially when he was responsible for marking the side that Eden Hazard played plays in. You know, so that's just not not something that's not poss- not acceptable. You know, um, but I think that the midfield I'm not too concerned about. It's been for at least Paqueta and Casemiro have been two of the most consistent players throughout the last throughout this qualifying cycle for Brazil. Paqueta especially, um, he goes. I, when, I haven't watched a lot of him, a lot of him at West Ham, but in Brazil he plays a lot more forward um, than in what I've seen so far um, from West Ham. 
And, you know, I think he'll find his his place there with time, but I'm not too concerned about him. If, if there's one thing that uh, concerns me is Fred playing, because I don't think he's up to the level of the other players around him. And I think that Bruno, Bruno G definitely is, especially with what he's shown uh, in the past year since he joined Newcastle. So uh, if, if Bruno gets more playing time over Fred, I think that will be okay. It does concern me, in, in, for example, if Bruno were to get suspended or Paquetel get suspended, if a player like Fred came in, it wouldn't give me a lot of confidence. So that could be more of the repetition of the, those mistakes from the past. But we'll see about that. So for the center-back position, is it pretty nailed on that Marquinhos and Thiago Silva are starting? Because when I watched Real Madrid play in the Champions League last year, Eder Militao was pretty pretty good. And the comeback of Real Madrid against PSG was largely down to a few mistakes for Marquinhos. And he's been playing at PSG since 2013. And he they haven't really won the Champions League. And I don't really think you can totally excuse him from some of those collapses, though. Again, I'm not too, and I, I can't say that I watch PSG week in week out, and I don't, I don't, I can't say that I watch Brazilian uh, qualifiers uh, when they come around every few months or whatever. But I guess if I was doing a FIFA Brazil team, I think Eder Militao would be in my starting eleven, probably over Marquinhos and Thiago Silva is also like 30, 38 or thirty seven or something. So do you have any like concerns over him having to play every four days uh, in this tournament? Uh, not at all, really, to be honest, because I think that that's probably the other than Neymar and Vinny Jr. starting, and I think, and Allison starting in goal. I think that the center back pairing, I think, is pretty locked in. It's been they've been playing together for years now, and in Brazil, this whole qualifying cycle. So, I don't think the manager would, would mess with that right now, you know. Um, and I think that it's, it's a, it goes a lot from the under, for for Marquinhos, for example, uh, and I I I know what you what you're referring about for from last Champions League, and uh, yeah, he was probably like he had a, a large amount of responsibility, but um, I think that him and Thiago Silva go well really really well together, and um, Brazil has been very solid defensively, obviously, you know. The a big problem that we face always is that we don't play good enough competition uh, compared to the World Cup. Um, but and so they'll be more, much more tested than they have been in the past past in the qualifying in the past years. But yeah, we'll put that to the test. But I'll def I definitely go with the two of them just because of the chemistry they have already between them and uh, the consistency as well. Um, and to just throw Militao in there. Um, and bench the guy that has been playing for a long time and playing at a high level, I think that would be that probably do more harm than than good. So I want to talk about the subs and how Brazil's going to use this massive squad that they have to their advantage. So let's say they start with three in midfield, and let's say they go like a goal behind in a game and there's 30 minutes left. You'd obviously take off one of those midfield players and bring somebody else on. Whoever starts at striker, probably think would take one of those off. Would would Brazil like ever sub Vinny Jr. or Neymar in a tie game or needing a goal? Because if if they don't, then wouldn't that kind of like limit if if like those two players are unsubbable, for example, then you're only picking two players from the bench when let's say you have three or four good players. I was kinda of wondering how the substitution pattern would work, let's say in a tight game that's, you know, zero zero with thirty minutes left or let's say you're down one nothing 
in the quarterfinals of Spain or Germany, for example. Like how how's the substitution pattern going to work in Brazil's advantage? How are they going to utilize this big squad that they have compared to some of the other teams that they're playing against? Yeah, so uh, I think I mean I mean I, it's my personal opinion and what I think about what the manager thinks about the team. I don't think that Vinny Jr. is unsubable, especially if he's not having a good game. You know, you have there's a reason why he called a guy like Martinelli, which is a left winger, when you have Vinny Jr. and Neymar ahead of him. You know, it's for those kind of situations where um, Vinny Jr. might not have, be having the greatest game something like that. You need someone to provide something different. Um, so I think that Vinny Jr. is definitely unsubable. I think Neymar most likely is unsubable. And um, I think that it will be very rare that we will see. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think there's a high likelihood we'll see. Maybe it's a, if it's like a, a, a game that the Brazil is like, if it's like a knockout game and Brazil really needs to score, maybe Pedro will come in because he's like a tall striker, which provides something different than the other two, uh, which aren't really like a huge presence in the box. Uh, but I think that we also might see Jesus come in in more of a winger um, position potentially, um, since we, he's ha- he's for Arsenal, as, especially the last couple of games, he's been really good on the ball and kind of playmaking, um, but not as good finishing. So um, he might not want to give him that responsibility when it comes to it. So I think that we might see him come in as a winger, and I expect I wouldn't expect to see a lot of Martinelli. Or Pedro, um, but more of Jesus, uh, Richarlison if he ends up being on the bench, or Rafinha if he ends up being on the bench. So we, you kind of talked about it a little bit, but Brazil in 2018 lost to Belgium in the quarterfinals. So if Brazil were to win their group, they most likely play Spain or Germany in the quarterfinals this year. And you could probably say that one, those two teams are maybe on a similar level to Belgium in 2018. So if Brazil are to take the next step and win the World Cup, where have they improved since 2018 in their defeat to Belgium? What have they kind of maybe learned uh, from 2018 to apply into this World Cup? Yeah, I think they have improved in depth um, in terms, especially in terms of the positions that we mentioned that I mentioned uh, that we were missing against that game against Belgium, which was the center defensive mid. We have Fernandinho come in, which was which he played horrendously. Um, I think Fabinho is definitely a level above that, despite him not being the greatest form right now. And then a right back, uh, definitely. Uh, obviously, on, on the team team list, you see Danny Alves. But like I said, I think that if we were to need a right back to come in, that would be Militao at right back, since he's played there for a long time. Even though he doesn't play there for Real Madrid, he's played there throughout his career. And I think he's played a couple of games for Brazil as well in some situations. And um, so I definitely think we improved in depth in general. Also in the attacking options, last last World Cup, um, I mean we were starting Willian, and our best option off the bench was Douglas Costa, which he was he was he was good. He did some good coming off the bench, but our options weren't as obviously because the squad is also bigger, so we have more options. But also the quality of the options, I think, and they're more they're different um, as well. Um, so I think that in terms of depth, I think that really got better in, in that regard. And I think that, well, when you think, just think about it generally, I think that the attack will probably be more threatening than it was last time, um, especially if 
if like if either Richarlison or Rafinha, whichever one is playing alongside Neymar Vinny Jr., are on form and playing well because we a big problem we had last World Cup as well was Jesus didn't score a single goal and he was our starting striker. So um, that was something that hindered our progress as well. And so it obviously depends on a lot of factors, but I think that we have definitely improved just in the overall squad. And I think this is probably the best squad we've had since 2006. So last question, are there any teams that you like to avoid or think are a potential bad matchup for, for Brazil? So let's assume that Brazil wins their group. They'll most likely face either Portugal or Uruguay. Would you want to, is there a team in those two that you'd rather face or not face between those two teams? And then moving forward, I mean, obviously to win the World Cup, you're going to have to beat, you know, the best teams most likely, but semifinals most likely face Argentina, if Brazil and Argentina win their group. And then if France also wins their group, they would await in the final. So are there any teams that you, know, you don't want to face a certain dark horse in the early rounds and then in the later rounds? Is there a team that you might might be a little uh, nervous of before the game? Yeah, so from what I've seen, um, at least, you know, leading up to the World Cup, obviously everything can change once the tournament starts and teams start playing differently, you know. But from what I've seen from Portugal and Uruguay, um, you know, Brazil and Uruguay played not long ago. Less than a year ago, I believe, in Brazil, beat them 4-1. Um, it was a pretty dominant game. Obviously, the circumstances are different. Players will probably be somewhat different. But um, South Americans teams, I'm not that concerned, obviously, with the exception of Argentina. I think that's always a very 50-50 game, as was the Copa America final and the last game they played, which was in Argentina for qualifiers, which was 0-0. Um, in Portugal, I think that Portugal has a, have a lot of indiv- good individual pieces, but they're very badly coached. So I think that would be that might be a hindrance for them for even finishing first in the group. Um, but then moving forward, there's France is obviously a team that that comes to mind just because of the star power on the team. You know, even if Brazil play better, dominate. They have the star power for just win the game with one goal and, you know, and, and defend. They have that kind of quality. So I'd say that probably the, the biggest challengers, i say, um, that Brazil could potentially struggle with would be France or or even or Argentina because they've played so many times. It's always really close game. You can't really predict which way it goes. So if it's not our day or if it's not going our way in a day, it could end up being, you know, cost the whole tournament, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the one I th- that come to mind the most. Um, Spain, looking at their, they, I think they could be a threatening team, but uh, looking at their squad list, especially up top, I don't see a lot of, you know, goal scoring power there. Uh, I think there were some questionable players that they left out. Um, and Germany as well, looking up top. Um, there's, a, there's, I think their options are kind of thin outside of their starters as well. So I think that France and Argentina are definitely the ones that are up there. Um, but, I mean, I expect at least result to make it to the semifinals, at least. And obviously, definitely hope that they win and they might pick to win. But that I expect at least semifinal because a, a potential clash with Argentina is what I think would be one game where Brazil isn't favored, in my opinion, because it's just 50-50 and I think it, it go either way, you know, and I think that that would also 
what what would be somewhat of what you would see in a potential semifinal match between the, the two in like a sports book sense as well. Well, I think you just answered the, the last question. I assume you're going with uh, Brazil to win it all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've gone with Brazil to win it all since, you know, uh, the first time I started watching the World Cup. But, uh, yeah, that's my pick. I think that the squad we have this year is the best we've had since 2006. I, like I said, uh, Brazil, the national team went from somewhat of a rough period for its standards. Between 2009 and 2000, but basically between the 2006 World Cup and until Chichi uh, took over, he brought back some more semblance of consistency and consistent high quality play, you know, in South American stage and just in general for for the national team and set a high high bar and high standard for us once again. And, you know, made mistakes during the last World Cup and the way he built the squad. And hopefully I have the confidence that he learned from those mistakes and that now he's ready to take the team all the way. All right, I guess we'll see what happens. Uh, but, yeah, thank you for joining us and uh, good luck in this uh, World Cup. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And we are now welcoming uh, England expert and fanatic uh, Sean to the program for his uh, Bias Opinion Sports podcast debut. So, Sean, I'm first going to ask you about England, the expectations for England at this World Cup, and I have a quick I have a quick theory on this. So if you look at, I would say, Brazil, Argentina, and France, if those three teams don't win the World Cup, it is a complete failure no matter what happens. There's no, there's no moral victories. There's no nothing. Right. If you look at, sure. If you look at England in the – 2018 World Cup, they made it to the semifinals and they lost to a Croatia team. That those teams are pretty even. And when I was watching the videos on YouTube of the uh, England media, it was well, this team is young and this team is growing and it's the first time they've been this far. And there was a lot of moral victories about how young the team was. Then in 2021, England played uh, Italy in the Euro final at home, and they lost a game they probably should have won. And the sentiment was, well, England, they made the country proud during these tough times. And, you know, the country, they got the country, gave, they gave the country a lift and all and all this stuff. When in reality, like the last two tournaments, they've gone pretty far, but they really haven't beaten a major team in their prime, I would say. So at what point do we get to where England is it's World Cup or bust right now for this England team at this World Cup? Is it a failure if they don't win the World Cup? Yeah, I definitely think for England, there's really high expectations for them coming into this tournament. Um, obviously, the the English media, we know how they are. Um, you know, any 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 loss, any bad performance, they're going to come for Gareth Southgate, come for the players. Um, and I think this is probably the most talented England squad, probably of our generation, I'd say. Uh, especially attacking wise, they just have so much talent. Um, you know, given given the group circumstances as well, I think they should be considered the favorite. Could have some tricky matches for sure. United States, Iran, Wales, they could they could cause them some problems. Um, but I think going forward, England should have expectations to win this tournament. Um, you know, I think the squad is compared to, you know, the other elite teams in the world, Argentina, Brazil, France, like you were saying, I think they're right up there in terms of the quality of their players. Um, I think defensively, uh, that's probably, I would say, is their weak point given, you know, some key injuries to some some good players that, in my opinion, would have gotten to the team. 
Um, but I think they need to be coming into this tournament with the expectation of winning. But you're right. They haven't really had too much, too many difficult tests in past tournaments. You know, I think in the World Cup, they didn't really play anybody too, too talented. They didn't come up against, you know, the elite teams. And then the Euros, they had that nice win against Germany in the knockouts. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they can compete you know, they really face, you know, the quality side. So what are your thoughts on the uh, 26-man squad that Gareth Southgate picked? I was new, no Reese James because he's injured, so that made room for Trent Alexander-Arnold. I'm not sure if he would have made it if uh, Reese James was healthy. And then some of the other notables, uh, Callum Wilson is in, and then Ivan Tony is not in because he even scored uh, two goals against Manchester City the other day. I don't know any names that uh, you think that should should be in the squad, and any people that are in the squad that you think are lucky to make it. Yeah, I definitely have some thoughts about that. I think, like you were saying, Ivan Tony. I think he's one of the most informed strikers in the Premier League, other than maybe Harry Kane and Erling Holland. Uh, he's been playing really well for Brentford, and I was surprised to see him not get into this team. Um, you know, a guy like Jack Grealish, I think, who's disappointed since his move to Man City, in my opinion. Uh, I was definitely surprised to see him, you know, on that list. And Callum Wilson, I think, deserved a shout. But compared to Ivan Tony, um, that was definitely a surprise for me. Um, I was really happy to see James Madison get in the team. Um, you know, there was rumors going around that he wasn't going to make it. But I think, you know, he's been so important for Leicester's kind of turnaround here to escape the relegation zone back, back mid-table now. Um, and then I definitely thought about looking at the center backs – uh, seeing Fikayo Tomori miss out was shocking for me. Uh, obviously, AC Milan winning the league last year. And then, you know, in the Champions League, they got through into the knockout stages, second in the group. Um, but he's been, in my opinion, one of the best English center backs, I think, in the world, given, you know, how, you know, weak they are at that position, to be honest. A guy like Connor Cody getting in over him was something that I think he's a little bit lucky to be there. Um and another one that comes to mind is in the midfield, Calvin Phillips. Um, almost honestly forgot about him since he moved to City. He was good at Leeds, but I know through injury he's not played much this this season. But to see him on the roster, I think, was was surprising. Uh, once again, James Ward-Prowse, I think, was, was snubbed a little bit. I think he definitely deserved a spot at the Euros, which he wasn't in originally. Uh, and then this World Cup, he just kind of provides that creativity that I don't think England really have from, you know, a deep midfield position. Um, and I don't know if Calvin Phil provides that. Um, but th- those are my thoughts. But I'm, I'm really excited to see guys like, you know, Bukayo Saka, you know, get a crack at the World Cup. Uh, Jude Bellingham, I think, one of the most promising young players in the world. Um, and then uh, defensively, I think, you know, Ben White, good to see him in the team as well. It'll be interesting to see if, you know, he's going to get a shot playing right back, if they're going to try to throw him in at center back. Um, but we'll see. We'll see about that. But those are some of my thoughts about, you know, some lucky players. And I think not having that Tamori stability and Yvonne Tony in the, in the team, I think, could be a regret of Gareth Southgate. Yeah, Calvin Phillips is an interesting one. He's played 53 minutes all year long. So that's And he was kind of injured after the Euros. He, was, he wasn't even uh, healthy last season when he played for Leeds. And then Ivan Tony, he's like, he hasn't missed a penalty kick or something, or he's like 18 for 18 in his last penalty kicks. Hey, he's so and, clinical. He's so good. Yeah, and uh, England in the 2018 World Cup, they got over that little penalty kick curse by beating Colombia, but then it kind of came back in 2021 against Italy. So if they're going to win the World Cup, I mean, they're probably going to face 
they're probably gonna have to go through penalty kicks at some point in the tournament. Yeah. If they're gonna play one of the top teams, it's gonna be hard to beat them in ninety minutes or one hundred twenty. So Ivan Tony could have been with like with the five subs and twenty six man roster, he could have just been a penalty kick specialist. I think there could have been some value there. So what do you think uh, <clears throat> the uh, starting eleven is gonna be for the uh, first game against Iran? Yeah, I think it's really hard to predict this because you know Gareth Southgate, in my opinion. Uh, isn't great at getting the best out of his team. You know, once again, England attacking wise are so talented and they can, you know, if they, they get to high pressing teams, uh, winning the ball, you know, up the field and utilizing, you know, their speed on the outside. Uh, and obviously Harry Kane, one of the best finishers in the world. Um, they can really cause some problems, but, you know, I think in, in the nation's league, he was trying to experiment with, you know, four at the back, but traditionally in the World Cup in 2018, he's been kind of sticking to that back three. Um, but I would say, you know, coming into these group stage games where the opponents aren't, you know, as good as, you know, some of the better teams, I think they should go with a four at the back um, to kind of utilize that attacking talent. Um, in my opinion, I think a, a really good shout and goal for me uh, would be Aaron Ramsdale. He's had a great season at Arsenal, but I think – you know, looking at the way Southgate has kind of managed this team, um, I feel like Jordan Pickford will most likely be the goalie. Um, it's just really interesting, and it's a hard one because, you know, at the club level, I think, you know, it's very clear that I think Ramsdale's had the better season than Pickford, but you can't deny that in the World Cup and the Euros, Pickford has been really, really good for England. Um, and I think Southgate will probably stick with him as the number one Um and I think I'm okay with that because once again, he's, he's shown that, you know, he can show up on the big stage and perform well. Um, so that's what I think about goalkeeping. I think defending um, with that back four, I think Kyrian Trippier um, could slot him at the left back position. I know he's traditionally a right back, but, you know, given the injuries to Ben Chilwell, Luke Shaw, I don't think has been great this season. Obviously he started on the left in the Euros. Um, but I think Trippier provides that experience and he's performed really well for England. Um, and you can kind of slot on that left side. Um, so I know, I know he's done that in the past for England. I'm not sure. I think on Newcastle, he's playing on the right, but um, I think he works well on the left side. And then center back is definitely a big question mark for them. Uh, without Fikayo Tamori, you know, I think John Stones gets in for sure. But then that second position is definitely one that I'm not sure about. Um, I don't really want to see Harry Maguire, you know, in the team. But once again, you know, Southgate has shown in years past that he he sticks with the guys that he trusts and the ones that have had experience. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Harry Maguire in at, you know, center back. But, you know, I think Ben White could definitely deserve a shout there. Um, and on the right, honestly, I would go with Trent Alexander-Arnold for that first game against Iran. I think, you know, the attacking, you know, aspect of his game could be really useful for England for sure. Um, you know, obviously questions about his defending, but I think, you know, that creativity, England are going to really, really want that um, to kind of attack that team and not sit back. And I think he provides, you know, a lot of good things for them. Uh, and then the midfield, I would run, I'd run with a midfield pivot going to with Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice. I think, you know, obviously those are my, my opinion, the two best midfielders that they have. Um you know, plus, you know, you can go forward and have a center attacking mid. In my opinion, we should go with James Madison. He's been one of the most informed players in the league. And he provides some really great things for Leicester. And I think, you know, 
his creativity linking up in the front, kind of finding those pockets of space could be really good. And then on the wings, I think, you know, a shoe in, in this team should be Phil Foden. I think he's one of the, he's going to have a great tournament. I think he could be a decent shout if England go far for winning player of the tournament. Um, he's fantastic. And then on the other side, um, I would go with Bikayo Saka. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Raheem Sterling, who's traditionally been in those positions for England, but, you know, I think he's been a little objectively, he's been bad for Chelsea this season. Chelsea really been struggling. Um, but once again, Southgate has shown that like, you know, he, he might go with Sterling because of, you know, the past experiences. And then obviously up top, I would go with Harry Kane. You know, there's obviously no argument there. He's getting in that team. He's the first name on the team sheet. Um, but I kind of like that four, two, three, one formation, which allows that extra attacking player to go forward. And then Bellingham Rice and that pivot could be, could be really nice. That's what, those are my thoughts. I, th- I think the first few games they probably will do a back four because I think some of the – I think Kyle Walker might be injured right now or, he, or he's still getting back to fitness so he might be, not be able to play. So that would probably mean a back four. And then do you think against the bigger teams – so right now if England – let's just say England and France win their group, they'll play in a in a quarterfinal. Do you think that England will stay, stay with the back four into these bigger games, quarterfinals, semifinals, or do you think they'll go back to the traditional – uh, back three, back five that they've been using against Croatia and against Italy the last time that they were in those big games. Yeah, I think I think most likely they'll they'll probably go with that back three once they play against a better team. Um, you know, I think I don't know if Southgate has learned from it or not, but you know the way he kind of manages those games is he he kind of sits back, you know, um, and almost invites the pressure to come to them, which I don't think is the best way to get the most out of these players, just because. Um, you know, like a guy like, you know, Trent Arnold, if he's in, if he's in the team, you know, he, he plays at his best when he's high up the field. And, you know, if he's slotting at a wing back position and, you know, they're inviting the pressure and he's forced to defend um, and just stand behind the ball, I think that wouldn't be beneficial to them. But, you know, Southgate has proven that um, in the past, you know, when they play against good teams, they kind of want that added defensive stability um, which is interesting. Um, it'll be, inter- it'll be, you know, definitely something to watch. Obviously, you know, in the games they lost in the tournaments against Croatia and Italy, they got a goal within the first, you know, two minutes of the game. Um, and I think that honestly was bad for England because it totally shifted their tactics. Um, and they, I think the reason why they lost those games were those, was those early, early goals that they conceded. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see if they do run a back three, if they can how they manage the game, not you know, starting off with the lead immediately. Um, but I think Southgate will most likely do that back three if they play you know France or something like that. Yeah, I would like to see them try and go a bit more attacking against the bigger teams. And another question that I have is midfield kind of looks a little thin to me. So what happens if Declan Rice or Drew Bellingham pick up an injury or get suspension or something like who else is? Who else is going to go in there? I mean, Kelvin Phillips hasn't really played. Jordan Henderson's kind of old and lost a step. Connor Gallagher doesn't really have much international uh, level experience. So, like, I think there's a big question mark if Duncan Rice and Drew Bellingham, one of them goes down or isn't available to play. Yeah, no, I, def- I definitely agree that that's concerning for sure. Um, like you said, Calvin Phillips, his fitness levels are are a question. Henderson, you know, a little slow. So I think they're definitely going to be relying on those guys' fitness to really – 
you know, help drive this team forward. Uh, I know for Chelsea, Mason Mount has kind of slotted into those, that number eight position um, in a midfield two uh, when Thomas Tuchel is a manager. Uh, I don't think that's his best position, but I think he can do a job there if needed. Um, but yeah, without Bellingham and Rice, if, if something goes wrong, that, that could be really problematic for them. Um, and maybe if one of them goes down, I would definitely consider maybe going to taking away James Madison for being the center attacking mid and bringing in a third midfielder to just go traditional free across to kind of add to, you know, a little bit more structure in the middle. Um, but I think a guy like Mason Mount could slot in there. Um, Jordan Henderson, I feel like would probably get a shout as well. Um, but yeah, that'll be something to watch for sure. And then, so for Gareth Southgate, you think this would be like his last tournament with England? I've been reading some stuff where if they don't do as well, he'll probably say he's taking this team as far as he can take him. And then if he does do well, he might even just turn it over to somebody else. You think this is his last tournament as England manager? I I do think this will be his last tournament as the England manager. Um, like you said before, I think if this team, you know, has a disappointing exit, I think everybody will be calling for him to go out. Um, in my opinion, I think he's a little, you know, out of his depth a little bit with this team. Um, Cause this is, this team is just so good. And I think, you know, they deserve to be, or they should be, you know, up there with the, you know, the final four, final eight in the tournament. Um, but yeah, I think, I think with success, he could call it a day um, for sure. I know outside of, you know, world cup competition, England got relegated in the nation's league. So, um, you know, there's definitely a lot of pressure there. And if he, if he wins, it could be interesting to see what happens. Um, they make another good run, but you know the English media is so is so tough to to you know to try to get on their side. And I think no matter what happens, if it's, it doesn't end up in a win for England, you know, winning the tournament, I think people will want to see you know a new a new manager for this team. And I think there are some good options out there as well. Like I don't know if a guy like Thomas Tuchel will get into international managing. Um, I know Arsene Wenger's, you know, people always talk about him potentially coming in as an international manager. Riccio Pochettino as well doesn't have a job. So there are some good options out there. And I think if he doesn't, this team doesn't, you know, exceed expectations, then, you know, he could be in trouble. All right. So what do you think? uh, What's your final prediction on England? How far do you think they'll go? And then if they don't uh, win the World Cup, who do you see uh, winning the World Cup? Let's see. I think they, I think they'll lose to France in the quarterfinals. Um, you know, as much as I want the U.S. to win this group, I think the talent this team has, um, they they will win this group. I think, um, and then I think they'll be able do they'll be able to do enough to win their first knockout stage game. Um, but I I think they lose to France in the quarterfinals, um, and I think my pick to win the tournament is Argentina. Um, I want to see that that messy farewell. Uh, for his last World Cup, and that would just be a great story. Um, so, yeah, my, that's my pick is Argentina. I think we can't win. <clears throat> Sounds good. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us and providing your uh, expertise on England, and we'll see how they uh, progress as the tournament goes along. Sounds good. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And welcome, Matthew Hennessy, back to the show. Big United States men's national team follower, uh, avid MLS fan, so he knows a lot of the players that have been picked in this squad by Greg Borhalter. So, Matthew – as a follower of the United States men's national team, you've seen this team kind of develop over the last four years. What do you think are reasonable expectations uh, for fans to have in this 2022 World Cup? 
I think we can hope for four points and hope that would be good enough. I think that's that's our ceiling, honestly. I haven't haven't seen a lot in the last couple of months to get myself excited about this team, but I'm excited it's that time of year, and I hope we can hope we can do good. So the first game against which games do you have? So you have an automatic loss to England, I assume, in that four points. I do have an automatic loss to England. And then so the and first I'm game. I'm the, hoping. The first game of the tournament's against Wales. So what do we think about that one? Wales one is tough. Um, suppose we got a very old squad. That's what my man Taylor Twelman said uh, that I heard. Um, it's just going to come down to whether or not we can stop Gareth Bale. I mean, he came into the MLS final for 30 minutes and just single-handedly won the thing. So that wasn't a good luck for us against him, uh, first of all. But hopefully, I mean, we're going to have to score a goal in that game to get a player win. Um, and the forwards have been looking a little shaky. So hopefully, we get winner winner a draw and either the Wales and Iran game. So we haven't been playing well. What was the main problems in those two games against Japan and Saudi Arabia? I think the Japan was a 2 nothing loss. Saudi Arabia was a nil-nil tie. Uh, and how much do you think that that form will really matter come the World Cup time? Uh, I'd say it's a little hard to tell. Um, the, the system was clearly not correct in either of those games. Um, but then again... Our core 11 guys, core whatever, nine guys that always play together didn't play together for those two games, but whether or not they were together, the system that Berhalter had in place was clearly not working. We were playing out of the back against Japan, and Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman were just giving the ball right to the Japan attacking midfielders, and they were going in and just passing it around us and scoring. And then in the Saudi Arabia game, we just couldn't get forward. I don't know if we had any shots. No clear chances on goal in 180 minutes in either of those two games. So forwards were the problem. Passing out of the back when Zimmerman and Aaron Long could not do so. So we got to get that cleaned up because Wales and England, they're definitely going to take advantage of that if we play that sloppy out of the back. So let's go to the squad that Greg Berhalter has picked. Uh, what are your thoughts on the, on the squad? What do you like? What do you don't like? Obviously the main talking points are no Zach Steffen and goal. And then uh, no Ricardo Pepe up top. Those are the two main things that everyone keeps pointing to. I am actually a fan of no Zach Steffen in goal. Um, tells the team that Matt Turner's a starter. Gives Matt Turner a little bit of confidence. And Sean Johnson and Ethan Horvath also both played really well lately. So I have no problem with that. And every time you see Steffen, it seems to be because he punched the ball on his own goal or passed the ball to someone in our team. So I'm fine with that, honestly. Uh, the Ricardo Pepe not making the team is really shocking to me, honestly. Um, he's been scoring a lot of goals. Uh over in Netherlands, he's been in good form. Um, and he's pretty much is the reason that we are in the World Cup. He saved us in a lot of games from qualifying. And it's just really strange that he's not in the squad, especially with the three extra players this year, having 26 guys and not 23. They, there definitely could have been a spot made for him. And it's just really confusing how he's not on the team. So let's go to the starting 11 for the first game against Wales. Matt Turner will be in goal. I'm not sure who the right back will be. Walker Zillman would definitely be one of the center backs. Uh, I think Anthony Robinson will probably be on the le probably left back. Midfield, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're looking at Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, and Eunice Musa if they're all fit. And then I'm assuming 4-3-3, so that'll leave Christian Pulisic on one of the wings. I would assume Brendan Aronson would play on the other wing, and then the striker position is still up for debate. So who do you see sliding? I think the two main question marks are, Center back alongside Walker Zimmerman and the striker. 
Uh, who do you see kind of Greg Berhalter picking in that first starting 11 against uh, Wales? Um, I actually see Aronson coming off the bench. I think he's going to come off the bench on the wings because he's actually listed as a midfielder uh, on the actual roster, which was an interesting move, which also makes no sense as to how Pepe's on in there. So you have Aronson, who is an attacking player for us, all of qualifying, all of the friendlies. You list him as a midfielder and then cut out one of the forwards that you had in there in Pepe. Um, up top, or I hope up top, that we go with Josh Sargent and then Tim Weah out on the right. And then hopefully we bring Aronson in for Weah. Um, kind of in the second half. That's a little burst of energy. That's what I hope we do. Uh, and then for defense, sounds like Walker Zimmerman's number one center back and then Tim Ream and uh, Aaron Long are going to fight out for that second center back position. And I hope it's Tim Ream because he's been playing in the Premier League all season. So he'd probably be a little better against England, a little more physical. Uh, and we're definitely going to need that. So what type of style of play do you think the United States is going to implement? Do you think they're going to be trying to be more proactive, more pressing, more on the front foot? Or do you think they're going to take a more defensive approach? Because I think it's going to be easy, I think, to go on the front foot and maybe try and attack Wales. But let's say you lose that game one nothing, 2 nothing. It's going to be harder to bring that same approach to England. You're probably going to be laying off more and more parking the bus, more of a counterattacking game. So do you think Greg Barhalter is going to stick to his philosophy of trying to play a more attacking game? I think so. I think you have no choice but to do that. If you have the most talented team that you've had, possibly in forever, the most skilled team, most technical team, I think you have to get the ball upfield. I mean, the best players that you have are going to be your midfielders. you got to get them moving the ball forward. Pulisic and, I mean, Aronson and Wea on the sides, they're the, some of the best attacking players we've had in a long time. we got to play balls up towards them. But the service to them is going to be interesting because in the Japan and the Saudi Arabia game, the way we were doing that was just booting the ball downfield when it was like one on four for no reason to get around someone. So there wasn't much play through the midfield there. We'll play through the midfield, um, but we'll see how that goes. But I hope, I hope we play an attacking style. I don't think, I think if we sit back against Wales and England, I don't think we have the personnel to kind of pass the ball around at the back, possess it for a little bit, try to keep away from them. Or if, let them keep possession. I'm not sure them retaining possession and playing balls into the box into potentially Aaron Long is going to be our way of getting a point out of the first two games. So I don't. I hope we don't do that. So how much confidence do you have in Greg Bohalter? And then what would it – if a tournament were to go south, if you were to draw Wales, lose to England, draw Iran, knock it out of the group, or lose to Wales, lose to England, beat Iran, still knock it out of the group, would Greg Berhalter's job security be on the line at all, or how? What would it? Oh, take? if he does, if he doesn't make it out of the group, he's done. That's that's for sure. I think any any national team at this level, if they didn't, if you had a head head coach for two years and he didn't make it out of the group, he would for sure be done. I don't think that part's in question at all, especially if you leave Ricardo Pepe at home and you only score, let's say, two two goals and get two points. I don't, I don't think that's in question at all. All right, well, I guess we'll have to uh, see how the United States fares at this World Cup. Do you have an official prediction on how far you think they'll go? My official prediction? I, th I, think, I think we'll end up getting four points. Um, and it's going to depend. 
it's going to depend on how Iran plays, I guess. I'm going to assume that England are going to take care of business and it's going to come down to the Iran-Wales game. If someone someone gets a win out of that game, then maybe maybe we'll be going home. But I think four points, hope we go home. And then I don't see us making it out of the first round. Um, you might need to remind me on who we're playing, but it sounds like could we have Belgium or something or someone really good in that first round? Uh, if the Netherlands win their group, we'll play the uh, Netherlands. Netherlands. That's what it was. Yes. I know, that, that would be a tough one. So would it be acceptable to get out of the group, compete against the Netherlands, lose, and then move on to 2026? I think if we got out of the group, played a good hard 90 or 100 tournaments against the Netherlands, hard fought. 2-1 loss, 3-2 loss, we're attacking, we're possessing the ball, we're playing with heart. I think that, I think that would be acceptable, and that would be a good step forward for the next World Cup. All right. Well, I guess we'll see if that uh, is the case or not. Matthew, thank, for, thank you for joining the uh, show, and we'll cross our fingers that the United States can uh, do their best at this World Cup and hopefully make the country proud. I hope so. And so we welcome uh, Finn Kelly here to close off the uh, World Cup preview podcast. So Finn, uh, you're you're here for some hot takes. Uh, what do you got for us? What do you think is gonna What do you think is gonna happen in Qatar in this uh, this winter? Um, I think I want to start off with a couple of hot takes regarding Team USA, um, and just Group B as a whole. I'd say Tim Ream might be the best center back in all of Group B, and he isn't even gonna start for Team USA. But I. Uh, I'd certainly take him over Maguire. Um, I guess if Walker's playing center back, maybe Kyle Walker's a better center back, but he's the best Team USA has to offer. Personally, couldn't name a defender from Wales in the last 100 years. Same goes for Iran, and uh, England's only rolling out Stones and Maguire, and I don't love those two either. So, Yeah, I mean, you make a good point. <clears throat> what, I, what I learned once Tim Ream got selected to the squad is he's the captain for Fulham. And Fulham's mid-table. Yep, he is a quality defender, and he has great chemistry with our left-back Jedi as well. Um, so it'll be very disappointing if we don't put him out there, as he's shown he's proven himself against English competition in the top flight. And uh, it'll be nice to let him continue, continue that over some of the MLS players. But, uh, yeah, i definitely put him as – I think – I can confidently say he's the best center back in Group B. Yeah, I don't I don't actually hate that take. I mean, Wales' best defender is Ben Davies, but he's more of like a left back. And they got a bunch of guys, you're right, I've never never heard of. Iran, we're not going to pretend like we know their roster. Mm-hmm. USA, so the problem, he might not start for the USA because he might not have much speed. And if we're trying to play a high line, then... Berhalter not... does love the idea of a high line. Can, team, can Tim Ream run? That's my that's my question. Um, I'm not entirely sure, but I'm not sure how high of a line we want to play against the quality attackers of England. Um, if we want to try and run against Sterling, knowing um, England, they'll start Sterling, go with a very Brexit lineup, just get it to Kane at the false nine, chip it in behind. So maybe we do want speed, but I'm not sure if Burhalter's even going to want to play a high line against them. So maybe Ream is brought in specifically to play against England. I guess that's something we'll find out two weeks from now. Yeah, that's not a bad take. I'm not even sure how much Harry Maguire can run either. And then Kyle Walker, he's more of a center back in a three, so it's not I really, agree. really count. Agree. That's, that's a good take. What do we got next? What do we got next? I think building off Team USA is that the USA midfield is 
in my opinion, at least top 10 at this World Cup. And I would go as far as to say they're better than Brazil because I hate what Brazil has to offer at midfield, especially if Neymar isn't dropping into the midfield. I, uh, I, I don't like Fred or Paqueta to play over any of Aronson, McKinney, or Tyler Adams. Right, let's take a look at this Brazil midfield. So, uh, Casemiro is quality, though. Yeah, we're going to ask Bahia about his starting his starting lineup. I think the, the Newcastle midfielder is not too bad. Bruno Guimarães? Uh yeah, I he doubt was... they start him. I've seen how this this Brazil manager is very favorable with a lot of people from Brazil because he's similar to uh, Southgate. He plays very conservative with his lineups and plays the guy he's, he likes, and that happens to be Fred a lot of the time, <laughs> which um, I wouldn't love playing anybody from Manchester United in this World Cup. So who's your starting midfield three for the USA? Uh, McKinney, Musa, and Adams, but... Um, I guess Aronson could be playing attacking mid, kind of similar to how he has at Leeds. And so Tyler Adams would be the the one right in front of the back four. Yeah. My only my only concern there is Leeds give up a million goals a game. So is Tyler Adams is he a good holding midfielder? Or can he make? Can he? Get uh, I think six? Tyler Adams is a great holding midfielder. Um, from what I've seen from Leeds, they they kind of abandon him back there, and then play the highest pressing system of all time with a bunch of mediocre players and they seem to run out of gas by minute 60 i mean i can vividly remember the first three weeks they were almost a lock to let up a goal like two goals at the 70th minute because no one can run anymore yeah i mean we'll see if they're top 10 midfield and they beat wales in the first game and then this is definitely the most talented midfield that the united states has ever had so i agree michael bradley's been our best midfielder at a world cup before and that tells you enough um all right, what do we what do we got next? Um, I'll say switching over to a different group and some different teams. Um, no Jota for Portugal means they can succeed. Um, I think that guy is really bad and doesn't pass. And they have so much talent that when you ball hog with players like Ronaldo, Bruno Fernandez, I mean, apparently Joe Felix hasn't been great, but him, Cancelo, Nuno Mendes, all on the field. Jota's play style of sprint and shoot the ball from everywhere on the field is terrible. Um, and it really hurt them in the Euros. I felt like I hated watching him play, and I still hate watching him play. So I'm really happy I won't have to. Um, I mean, in twenty, in his 2021-2022 Premier League season, he scored 15 goals in 35 games. I and mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty good return. I don't know I don't know if I agree with this one. It was, probably- it was certainly a top-heavy Premier League run. Um, he kind of – him and Salah – both forgot how to play following January, and Diaz really picked up the steam for them. Uh, yeah. I think that you'd want as many attacking options as possible, but I guess if you start Ronaldo, he's probably never coming out of the game, so maybe you don't even need that many attacking players. I agree. Um, I just think you, Ronaldo, um, especially later in his career, definitely wants the ball a ton, and Jota does not have any ability to pass the ball or pick his head up. And it plays horribly with Ronaldo because then you have two guys that want to shoot. Jota's faster, so we can get to the ball easier. And then he's shooting over Ronaldo, and it's a disaster to watch. So I think without him, Portugal can just fall back to what has given them tournament success semi recently. Um, I guess not too much World Cup success, but this roster feels a little bit better than even when they won Euros in 2016 and the 2018 World Cup. So, <clears throat> yeah. Them. 
it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they put it all together. I guess they also have this guy named Rafael Leao, who's on AC Milan. And AC Milan did just win the Italian League last year. And he's, he had 11 goals, 8 assists last year, 6 goals, and 4 assists in 14 games this year. So maybe they could uh, stick him in there for Jota as well. That's not a bad idea. I don't love the Italian League as far as how they play, but it is tournament-style football, very slow, and pass the ball around. I feel like that's how the World Cup plays and a couple of other major tournaments just because a lot of the teams have a lot less experience with each other. So uh, it worked for Italy in Euro 2020, and then they couldn't even qualify um, for the World Cup because that, that brand of football is interesting. It makes Jorginho look like a top three player in the world. Uh, what's next? Um, kind of building off the slow play, I was going to say Lukaku, um, even though he just disappears during – or maybe he's doing well in Italy again. I think playing in Italy – will suit him well, and I think he has a he's a threat to win the Golden Boot, but I'm sure he's up there in odds. So I'm not sure how much of a hot take that is, but I think Lukaku's a threat, but the Belgian team overall will be a letdown because um, I really don't know outside of De Bruyne, Lukaku, Courtois, any good players on the roster that wouldn't be 45 at this point. <laughs> maybe, maybe Tielemans. Yeah, their uh, starting back line is... Jan Vertonghen and Toby Alderweireld, and they're both playing. Oh my goodness, they're both playing in the Belgian league. Yeah, um, I don't like what I'm seeing from them, and I think building off that, I think there's a serious chance that we have three uh, Concacaf teams making into the round of 16, and potentially even two into the quarterfinals, or further than that, because I think Canada is certainly a threat to finish over Belgium in their group. And I would even go as far as say they have a better overall roster, although the top heavy, the top three on Belgium are spectacular, especially De Bruyne and Courtois. Yeah, I'm not ready to write off Belgium just yet. Although their their players up front, Hazard and Lukaku, aren't haven't really been good for like three or four years. So that's definitely. I agree. I think getting to play with Kevin De Bruyne can reinvigorate anyone to be good up top. Um, really. Would love to see him take over the tournament because he's probably the best player in the world right now. And Courtois wasn't unsung, but um, people kind of just forget how amazing he was in the Champions League and how much he did for Madrid, especially in the later stages of the tournament. Some of the biggest saves, especially in the final, they easily could have lost that final, like 3-1. So yeah, hopefully him and De Bruyne can carry, but I do think Canada has a really strong chance to finish above them and then make some noise in the tournament. And what have you seen from Mexico to think that they're making it into the uh, knockout stages? Um, they're pretty much just a lock to do it. Um, I think the rest of their group out is Poland and a very bad team. And I hate Lewandowski in big tournaments, especially big games. He just absolutely disappears. And I don't like the rest of Poland's roster. Um, so I feel like Mexico is just consistent, gets around to 16, then get knocked out in the round of 16. Yeah, you're, you're right about that. We uh, talked uh, on the podcast about Mexico. They've uh, It's called in Mexico the curse of the fifth game. It's yeah. called the Quinto Partido. They've been eliminated in seven straight uh, round of 16s. And, uh, and when a World Cup has not been on Mexican soil, they've never made it to the quarterfinals. That is unbelievable to hear. Um, but I do <laughs> believe there's a path where they play France in the round of 16s. So I would love to see Mexico's round of 16 curse against the winner's curse. Um, see yeah. which one can prevail. If France tops their group and Mexico finishes second, they would play each other. 
Um, speaking of France, I think no Pogba can allow a lot of the young talent that they have to flourish. I, Pogba is amazing in international tournaments, but as his play has started to decline, um, they didn't still go away from him in Euro 2020, and rightfully so because he was one of the leaders for the World Cup 2018 team. But I think not having him um, can allow these new era midfielders, Chunami and Kamavinga, to step up and maybe make some noise. But just Morris will allow them to play a different brand of football. You saw with United, it kind of handicapped them sometimes. He's not the worst player on the field, but he's similar to Ronaldo. He wants a ball, and he plays his role, and you can't really take him out of that. Yeah, he's always a difficult uh, piece to fit into the puzzle. I agree. He spe- He's become almost positionless. You just have to let him float. Um, and sort of what people thought Neymar had become, but I don't think that's true. International football, if you have like a set positions and a set roster with everyone knowing their job, then that could be provide a little more stability. And then when you get into the knockout stages, you kind of know what to expect. So that might that might not be too bad of a take. I agree. I think France has maybe the best attack at the World Cup, although Benzema has really fallen off. But I think if you have Mbappe and Dembele on the wing, pretty much any team is going to have trouble running with that. And Mbappe sprinting down the field was so huge for them in the last World Cup. It absolutely burned Argentina. Um, so I think even though they have winner's curse and they're now missing their two biggest midfielders from the last World Cup, um, I still think they're a threat to go deep just, just off the back of Mbappe and maybe Benzema dropping in just doing what Giroud did but better last World Cup. Uh, so what else What else you got for the public? Um, I think Group B has a strong threat to have two semifinalists just because I think whoever comes out of that group is a threat to make noise. And with recent news that Senegal will be without Mane, even though he is going to travel, I don't think he can suit up. Um, but someone is going to get to play uh, either an injured Senegal or Qatar or Ecuador in the round of 16. So it's basically a free pass to the quarterfinal, in my opinion. Um, and if England are as weak as everyone thinks, then maybe they don't even top the group and they get to play Senegal uh, in the second round. Cause I think Netherlands can handle a group. So I think group E has a threat to have two semifinalists, certainly two quarterfinalists. Um It'll be exciting. I would love a USA-England rematch in the final. I don't think that is possible. And then building off of England, um, if Trent and Foden don't start, I do think they're just going to continue their poor form and fade out of the tournament um, a lot quicker than everyone in England would certainly hope and sort of quicker than Vegas and other bookmakers are expecting. Yeah, I don't think... I don't know if Trent is going to start. I you know Trent is only in the squad because Reese James is injured. If he wasn't, I do. I do. And would have made the twenty-six man team. I know. I'm very concerned for that roster if he's not starting. That back line is atrocious without him. Only uh, England find a way to not have a player as talented as Trent Alexander-Arnold go to the World Cup. I agree. I agree. And I, and Foden is the best player on the team, and I'm, I'm sure he'll start now. He is England's golden boy, but Southgate could find a way to not put him in just because he is Gareth Southgate. And he I, is. I, I think Foden will start against the lesser teams, but then once they play a good team, they're going to go more defensive, and then you're only going to have three players up top. So I think it'll be Harry Kane, Saka, and then Sterling. I think Saka's certainly earned his spot. Um, Kane, that's your captain. Can't take him out, and he's, he's Kane. He plays that role so well, and he's great with speed on the outside. But Foden, to me, is just way too talented. to. You can't not put him on the field. Um, 
Trent, I feel the same way about. I guess Trent's form's been down, but Foden's proving right now that he is top 15 player in the world. And Yeah, he's a... He's just like he's like a type of Spanish player playing for England. I agree. I I remember Pep long time ago when Foden was first coming through, started comparing him to young Messi. I mean, obviously no one can reach that, but um, he is phenomenal. And then mentioning Messi, uh, I think Messi always feeling too much pressure and loving to choke, and Argentina now being on this ungodly win streak. I think the pressure could get to them. Um, and I don't think they go as deep as everyone thinks. I are they tournament favorites at the moment, or is that still Brazil? Uh, still Brazil. Let me see. Uh, Brazil is Brazil's plus four fifty, and Argentina's plus five fifty. So Argentina's second, and they're above slightly above France. Um, I do think Brazil and Argentina, the way the bracket set up, could be on a collision course to meet in the um, semifinal. semifinal. Uh, I think if that rematch happens, I don't think Brazil lets the opportunity slip like they did in the. Copa America final, but I'm not sure if Argentina even gets there, even though I love their style of play. Um, they have the best player in the world, and they honestly don't necessarily use him too much. They play really aggressive, um, and it's fun to watch, and it works in tournaments, but the pressure may get to them as it usually does. Yeah, it is interesting with this Argentina win streak. They have, if you do look at they play like a lot of pretty average teams or below average teams recently to kind of inflate those numbers a little bit. Their forwards and attacking is very good. And then they just have a bunch of scrappy guys. I agree. And they're basically just at this point is doing it for Messi. It's fun to watch because they are doing it for Messi and they play super hard, but it's the world cup. So every other team is going to have that same mindset. Like every player should be going in thinking this could be my last tournament for whatever reason and just play their hearts out. And I think if other teams match Argentina's intensity, they certainly aren't like a top five most talented roster at the World Cup. I, they're potentially not even top 10. Um, I guess with Messi, it's hard to not be top 10. But yeah, I think they could be out earlier if other teams can just match their intensity. All right, any other <clears throat> any other last takes that you want to... Yeah, just closing out on... Um, I think the U.S. is a threat because the MLS breeds underdogs, overachievers, and people who will get written off before you even play against it. Um, a lot of European teams don't have any respect for MLS players, I'd say. Or maybe European fans. Um, and maybe rightfully so, because some of them are missing talent, but I do think it helps because it's just a lot of guys who like to run and play hard, and the other team will underestimate. I think that's why the U.S. is always a threat to make noise at the tournament every time we bring MLS players with us. Uh, so if the USA is going to advance in this World Cup, they're going to have to score goals. Who is scoring the goals for the USA in this World Cup? Not a striker. Um, hopefully Gio Reyna, Christian Pulisic, and then Aronson. Aronson. I, I like the idea of how high we can press. Aronson's amazing at pressing. Sargent heading to Qatar makes me very happy. Hopefully, hopefully if he gets out there, he can press his life away because he certainly can't score. Um. But yeah, I, I think we can just win a lot of games two one. Um, so you're not concerned about the lack of a big striker presence up top? You think we can? No, score? not at all. I think we handicap ourselves when we try and put too much pressure. So it was sad not to see Pepe go, but it's nice we don't have to rely on an 18 year old to score every goal for us when he's shown he he's certainly not ready for it. Um, I'd rather just have a lot of guys who are going to grind the box, score all our rebound goals, Pulisic somehow leads all international play and like header goals. So just let him <laughs> keep doing that. <laughs> um, 
we have a lot of guys who can whip crosses in and create playmakers with the ball. Just hopefully score like that and our supposed high line doesn't let us down, but I'm very nervous for that. Yeah, it's going to be <clears throat> interesting for the country to watch a World Cup with the likes of uh, Clint Dempsey, Josie Altador, and Michael Bradley out there. And now we've got some players. So no, no Tim Howard's more of my bigger concern over any of those players. Tim Howard yeah. almost accidentally brought us into the quarterfinal eight years ago. It would have been nice to have him back there again, but it's better than Zach Steffen. Right, right now, I think uh, Matt Turner is going to be the number one if he's fit. Uh, love seeing a Rebs product out there um, in Fairfield University, I believe. So, super excited for Matt Turner to get his chance. Uh, if he can be half as good as Tim Howard, um, then we have a shot to do anything. <clears throat> All right, and then lastly, uh, who is your uh, World Cup champion? I'll go with Brazil. Yeah, Neymar's too good. I can't pick against Neymar. It's kind of hard to pick weaknesses uh, in that team. I do think Fred. Fred and Paqueta, whenever he, and the, the outside fullbacks. But I'd, I think Vinny, Neymar, and the way Jesus is playing, I'd be hard to ever pick against those three all on the field at once. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you, Finn, for joining us, and we'll see how these – Thank uh, you for having me, PJ. These hot takes develop as the tournament goes along. We will. We'll check back in with them.